0: Welcome to Hackstack, Advanced Training Edition, the show that gives you all the tips, tricks and advice you need to increase your productivity, lower your stress level and find ultimate purpose in life. To get the greatest understanding of what Hackstack is all about, start listening from episode number one. And now, here's your host, Coz.
1: Hello and welcome to Hackstack. I have been looking forward to this particular episode for quite some time now because I know it covers a topic that interests a lot of people, namely, uh, you know, losing weight, getting healthier, and in general, just taking better care of yourself. And I, I hesitate to even call it a diet because to me, when I hear the word diet, it, that seems like a short-term type of thing. Uh, I like to call it a, a nutrition plan or just a lifestyle more so than a diet, but it's, it's hard to get away from that term diet because that's, <laughs> that's what it's known by. But I'm going to talk about the ketogenic lifestyle or the ketogenic diet. And this is something I've been doing for uh, about a year and I've had some really, really good, uh, well, beyond good, I would say extraordinary results. And the other reason I've been looking forward to this episode is we have a hack stack first. And that is going to be an in-studio interview with a a good friend of mine who also happens to be a a fitness enthusiast, a personal trainer, and he is very well-versed in the ketogenic lifestyle. And as a matter of fact, he is the individual that got me kind of hooked on this lifestyle. And once I was hooked, I I think I can pretty confidently say I'm, I'm hooked for life. Now, I'm just going to to be up front and tell you the goal of this particular episode. Uh, first off, I want to introduce you to the uh, ketogenic lifestyle, give you some information about it. Uh, but the main goal is to persuade you to give it a try, which once you hear the benefits of the ketogenic lifestyle, it should be a pretty easy sell for you to at least give it a try because the benefits... And the results are just off the charts nothing like nothing i've ever seen before it's pretty impressive now a little bit later on i'll play some audio clips that explain uh, the ketogenic diet and science behind the diet in a little more detail but for just starters i want you to know that it is a low carb high fat adequate protein diet now i know that was a, a painfully brief description But trust me, we're going to get into this a little bit more later on. So don't you worry about a thing. So for starters, I want you to ask yourself a question. If you had absolutely perfect discipline when it comes to your nutrition, what diet plan would you choose? Now think about that. I would imagine most of you will realize that lack of discipline is probably the biggest roadblock to any diet plan. But even hypothetically, if you had perfect discipline, would you even know what diet to follow? And I would venture outside of people saying, well, you know, I'm going to avoid that extra piece of chocolate cake. Most people have no idea what to try. They've tried so many things and failed so many times that they're they're kind of frustrated. So as I was prepping for this episode, I actually went out to Google for top diet plans and like the second or third thing to pop up was titled the 38 best diet a person can do now i click on the link and i'm reading all these diets and of these 38 diets i had maybe heard of two or three and it was kind of disappointing that i was like where where's the ketogenic diet it's it's nowhere on this list and then i see at the very bottom of the article uh, uh, an asterisk and it says diets like and it it names paleo, uh, ketogenic, and Atkins. Diets are not included in this list because they are considered unsustainable. And I was actually kind of irritated at that. I was like, why would people think that this is unsustainable? I mean, clearly they haven't talked to anyone who has sustained it. I mean, at some point, people are doing this, and there's got to be people out there that have sustained it, and I am one of those people, and my guest in the studio today is one of those people as well, but it just goes to show some of, like, the, I don't know, the arrogance or or the assumptions that, that people make, you know, they write these articles, and I'm sure they have good intentions, but, you know, they're really saying, you know, these diets that are maybe a little bit harder and maybe a little more effective, we, we have to toss those out because we know You lack total willpower. You can't do anything. So we're just going to give you 38 mediocre diets that give you mediocre results and probably will frustrate you, but we're going to go ahead and list them anyway. So again, if you had perfect discipline, I guarantee you the ketogenic diet would be on the very short list of best possible diets that a person can follow. But I can hear what you're saying. You're saying, hey, I do not have perfect discipline. So this is kind of a moot point. Well, the name of the show is Stack, so we are going to go over in depth how to hack this diet and how to make these things that seem to be hard on the surface incredibly easy. For example, if, if you're on a low-carb diet like the ketogenic diet is, you have to avoid sweets and pastas and breads, potato chips. Uh, desserts, all sorts of things like that. Well, we have an answer for each and every one of those. And you'll be amazed at some of the substitutes you can use for some of those things. But not to get too far ahead of myself, I want to tell a quick little story that will hopefully get you in the right frame of mind to start to think about this diet. And it's just a story to illustrate sacrifice and effort versus reward and payoff and how some people overestimate the price that they're going to have to pay or the sacrifice that they're going to have to make. And because of that, sometimes they make bad decisions or don't even try things. Imagine you have a job working 40 hours a week and you make $50,000 a year. I'm just going to pick $50,000 because the math is really easy. Now, $50,000 a year is a good salary, but it's not nearly as good as making $100,000 a year. So suppose your boss goes to you and says, you know what? I want to give you a raise. I'm going to pay you $100,000 a year. I'm going to double your salary. However, you have to go from working 40 hours a week to working 90 hours a week. So would you take that? Now, that's <laughs> that's a painful decision to make. Obviously, doubling your salary can do a lot of things for you. But the price that you have to pay, the emotional price you have to pay, the stress that you have to pay may not make it worth it. You know, maybe you're even thinking, well, I could stick it out for at least a couple years and then I'll find another job. And in that couple years, I can save money or I can pay off debt or I can do this or that. But it's a really, really painful decision to go from working 40 hours a week to 90 hours a week. Even when your salary doubles, it's like that's too much pain. But what? now. Stay with me. What if I told you, you know what? You can go from making $50,000 a year to making $85,000 a year, and you only have to work five extra hours per week. You go from working 40 hours a week to working 45 hours a week. Now, all of a sudden, man, I'm working just a little bit harder but I'm making so much more money. Like, who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't basically work one extra hour a day? Extra five hours a week, Monday through Friday, that is only one extra hour a day. So that little story is kind of like the ketogenic lifestyle. People hear about it, and they have this perception that, oh, to get this huge result, I've got to give up so much. It's so painful. Like, yeah, it would be great, but that's just way, way too much for me to, to deal with. When in reality, you're not like going from working 40 hours a week to working 90 hours a week. You're just working that extra five hours, that little bit extra effort. But here's the catch. Every day, you're asked if you want to leave at five o'clock or do you want to stay till six o'clock and work that extra hour. And people are so focused on short-term immediate gratification that they'll always leave, right? If the question is, do you want to work an extra five hours a week and make an extra, whatever, $35,000 a year, in the moment, the answer is yes. But if the question is, do you want to leave at 5 p.m. or do you want to leave at 6 p.m., people are like, well, why would I stay till 6 when I can leave at 5? So if you can put in just that little bit of extra effort, the benefits and the rewards of this lifestyle are through the roof. Now, I know that story may have been a stretch, and I might come back to it a little bit later. But suffice it to say that my main point is just a little bit of effort can get you some amazing results. So some of the results that you can get that I personally have have experienced over the last, I'd say, about 9 to 12 months, I have lost uh, about 7% body fat. So I've gone from 22% body fat to about 15% body fat. I feel like I have virtually unlimited energy and no brain fog whatsoever. I can't remember the last time I felt lethargic. I don't have to count calories. I pretty much just eat until I'm full and then I don't eat until I'm hungry again. So it's very simple. I can still eat at fast food restaurants with absolutely zero guilt. Because I can still maintain the diet. I can go to virtually any family function, work get together, get together with friends, family reunion, whatever it is. I can go to these events where typically there's a whole bunch of food and I can still easily stay within the constraints of this nutrition plan, be completely satisfied, and never really feel like I'm denying myself anything. So just, just, <laughs> just chew on that for a little bit. That's just from my personal experience. You've got a diet where you're never hungry, you have tons of energy, you lose body fat, not just weight, but you actually gain muscle and lose fat, you retain lean muscle mass, and you don't have to count calories. I mean, heck, not counting calories and never being hungry and losing weight While gaining muscle, like that, (laughs) that right there should perk up your attention. And that's just from my personal experience. I'm now about to play this is three audio clips from three different doctors. And this will go a little bit more into the science uh, of the ketogenic lifestyle. And it'll talk a lot more about the benefits and. I mean, some of the things are just mind-blowing, including curing long-term, quote-unquote, uncurable issues and ailments. So, fasten your seatbelt. We're going to play this clip. We're going to talk a lot more about the benefits in these clips. So, buckle up. Listen to this. This will give you some really good, quick exposure to what the ketogenic lifestyle is. And then after that, I will talk to my in-studio guests, and we are going to break down How to make this a lifestyle that you can maintain uh, indefinitely. Trust me, this is a game changer.
2: Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. Today I'm going to share with you the benefits of a ketogenic diet and how ketogenic diets can help weight loss, cancer, and even the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. And basically what a ketogenic diet is, it's putting your body into ketosis, which means your body is burning fat for energy rather than carbohydrates. And so again, your body will burn its own body fat or fat from, for, that you're consuming dietarily uh, for its overall energy production. And this is very effective. In fact, there are medical studies now showing that the ketogenic diet is an effective treatment for cancer for Alzheimer's disease and effective for very fast weight loss. And I've worked with thousands upon thousands of patients over the years in my clinic and I've actually found that the ketogenic diet is quite possibly the best diet for for very fast fat loss. If your goal is especially fat, fat loss, the ketogenic diet is the perfect diet. And so the reason why it works so effectively is that when your body goes into ketosis and starts burning fat for energy, your body is burning up its own body fat. And it's not. And your body also stops feeding on sugar. And so let's go into next in terms of what it does for those three conditions. Let's start off with cancer. So the ketogenic diet for cancer. And we know that cancer cells feed off of sugar. And so when you restrict your body, a ketogenic diet is essentially um, a diet that is made up of around typically 80% fat, 10% carbohydrates, and 10% protein, or or maybe even, let's say, 70% fat, 20% 20% protein and 10% carbohydrates but the carbohydrates are very very minimal so again you can see your body is really burning fat for energy but the reason why the ketogenic diet is effective in cancer treatment is that your body is being that the cancer cells are being starved they have no sugar to feed off of and so the cancer cells starve to death that's why the ketogenic diet is effective in cancer treatment the second thing that a ketogenic diet is effective for is weight loss and the reason being again your your body starts burning its own body fat for energy, and, and think about this, your body will also then continue to burn fat even while you're sleeping at night. So your body is burning fat 24-7. It's not just burning the fat you consume, it's burning your own body fat. That's why it's the most effective way to burn fat fast. And last but not least, the ketogenic diet is effective for Alzheimer's disease. In fact, there is a female medical doctor in Florida who treated her husband who had a dementia and Alzheimer's with what she called the coconut ketogenic diet and said it cured his symptoms completely. And the reason why it would be effective is we know that part of what happens in dementia and Alzheimer's is the degeneration of the nerve system in the brain. And so you really need to support the brain-nerve system. Well, a diet that is has around 70% healthy fats, we know will help the brain and we also know that ketosis and your body being able to burn fat for energy or utilize fatty acids is critical for the brain and for the natural treatment dementia.
3: Hey, this is Dr. David Jockers and I just wanted to talk about a really key principle when it comes to killing cancer, detoxifying your body and revving up and rejuvenating your body. And that's really the ketogenic diet. And many of you guys may have heard of the ketogenic diet. It's really the most research-based diet for helping your body reverse the aging process, helping reduce inflammation and oxidative stress. As a clinician, I've been working with people with all sorts of advanced diseases for years, and I found the ketogenic diet to be one of the best ways to help people get well quickly. So the reason why the ketogenic diet is so effective and particularly effective against metabolic diseases like cancer and diabetes, as well as heart disease, is because it actually helps our body balance and stabilize sugar. We know that sugar feeds cancer cells, that elevated blood sugar causes massive amounts of oxidative stress, or think about rust, right? It actually rusts our body from the inside out when we have elevated sugar. So a ketogenic diet, done correctly, helps balance your blood sugar, reducing oxidative stress and inflammation in your body, reducing the preferred fuel that cancer cells run on. So we're actually starving the cancer cells. Extremely powerful principle to understand. And so this is why we wanna use a ketogenic diet. The second thing is it's actually our desired metabolic state. What I mean by that is ketone bodies, which is actually a byproduct of liver metabolism, our liver breaks down fatty acids, produces ketones. These ketone bodies actually help fuel our brain more effectively than sugar does. They're incredible fuel for our muscle cells, for really all the cells of our body. And so our body thrives on ketones. And so most people when they're on a ketogenic diet, things that they notice are they just have better mental clarity, they age slower, they feel tr- they feel awesome all day long. They may have needed a nap in the past, but now they've got, in sense, almost like unlimited energy throughout the day. So there's incredible benefits from a metabolic basis. It also helps us to burn fat more effectively, actually teaches our body to become fat adapted. So you develop the, the, the optimal lean physique that's right for you, right? So for me, I'm actually anywhere between 8 to 10% body fat on a regular basis when I'm on this ketogenic diet, I preserve lean body tissue. I'm actually stronger in the gym. I feel better on a regular basis doing this. It's absolutely amazing.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Kral and thank you for your interest in learning more about the ketogenic diet. The uh, ketogenic diet is one of the most effective ways for losing weight, but it's not just a short term solution. You can actually live a ketogenic lifestyle over the long term to manage weight. So how does the ketogenic diet work? The basic purpose of ketogenic diet is to transition your body into a fat burning state where basically you adapt to using fat as your primary fuel source. We never get to that state because we have so many carbs in our diet. But if you lower your carb intake low enough and keep your protein intake in moderation, your body will transition over a few weeks to where it uses fat as its primary fuel. And as we'll talk about momentarily, the body prefers to use fat as the primary fuel. And I'll keep coming back to the role of insulin. Basically, when we consume carbohydrates, our body has to produce insulin to bring the blood sugar down. And whenever insulin is floating around in the body to a significant extent, it does not let the body burn its fat stores. So even if you're careful about watching your calories and you're laboriously tracking everything and you're exercising, doing everything you should do, if you get too many of your calories from carbohydrates so that there's more insulin floating around, it prevents you from burning fat. It also has to do a lot with why uh, people will commonly plateau because they get to a point where the insulin is just not allowing any further fat usage. So when you lower your carbohydrate intake and convert to fat burning your insulin levels are extremely low and you basically utilize either the fat that's in your diet or the the stored fat that you have for energy so basically with a ketogenic diet we're talking about consuming about 75 percent of your calories from fat and about 20 from protein and five from carbohydrate so i'm often asked how does this really differ from Adkins because it sounds a lot like it and there's a very important distinction the Adkins diet um, has commonly become known as a low carb high protein diet and many people who go low carb um, get high protein and it's understandable because we've been brainwashed all these years to think that high fat is bad for us so if you're going to lower carbs your only other option is to get lots of protein but the problem with protein is, and it's, protein is good, but if you get too much protein, the body breaks that protein down into amino acids and converts it to glucose. So if you're trying to become ketogenic, trying to convert to using fat as your primary fuel, but too many of your calories are from protein, those amino acids will be converted to glucose and it won't really let you fully adapt to using fat as your fuel. So in general, we need to keep protein intake to about one gram per kilogram body weight. So what, what about ketosis? Is staying in ketosis over the long term bad for you? And I love that question. Uh, a year ago, I would have answered it differently. Doctors, nutritionists, many people in healthcare have the misconception that ketosis is bad for you because we're all trained about diabetic ketoacidosis, which is um, a dangerous state. And you cannot stay in ketoacidosis. But it all comes down to the amount of ketones we're talking about here. When a diabetic is in ketoacidosis, a life-threatening state, the ketone levels in the blood are uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 or more. When we talk about nutritional ketosis, a healthy state, uh, the blood ketone levels are really just one to three. So this has nothing to do with diabetic ketoacidosis, ketosis, uh, nutritional ketosis, doesn't trash your kidneys, your liver, cause you to leach your bones, all the things that I thought before I really looked into uh, nutritional ketosis as a, a healthy way of living. So then the next question that always comes up, and I know you're dying to know, is how can it be good for you to eat all this fat? And that's really the crux of what I wanna share with you today. We are brainwashed. We've all bought into this idea for the last 20 years that heart disease is caused by saturated fat and cholesterol. And while this is very important, When the saturated fat and cholesterol is consumed in the setting of carbohydrates, the high insulin levels cause that fat to be packaged into tiny particles, which certainly contributes to plaque development in your arteries and leading to heart attack and stroke. But many studies have shown, and these are well-designed studies, by the way, done in academic settings, not the kind of studies that you can buy to show whatever result you want. The studies have shown that when you consume high amounts of saturated fat and cholesterol, but in the absence of significant carbohydrates, so your insulin levels are low, ironically, the the fat that you're eating mostly is being consumed for energy, so it doesn't matter anyway, but whatever does get packaged and metabolized is in big fluffy particles, which are actually pretty resistant to getting into your artery walls and causing plaque so many studies in in athletes and others who follow a ketogenic lifestyle ironically you could measure blood on a regular diet that's 30 percent fat and 40 percent carbs and the amount of fatty acids and small bad cholesterol forming particles would be a lot higher than if you went on a ketogenic diet for six weeks or three months and did the blood again the cholesterol levels might be a little higher but Cholesterol is just a number. What matters, and we know what matters, is the size of those particles. So you're much better off, um, you're more healthy from a standpoint of cardiovascular disease risk if you're getting 75% of your calories from fat, but only 5% from carbs because of what we've just talked about with particle size being the most important thing. And the real irony or paradox of all this is if you're following a ketogenic lifestyle so that your carbs are low and you're using your fats as energy, the very fats that you want to take in are the fats, fats which we've been programmed to think are bad for us. Saturated fats are the best, most efficient energy sources because the body doesn't have to break them down, there's not all these double bonds um, in there that... that cause it to be less efficient as a fuel source. So fully saturated fats like coconut oil, butter, red meat, you know, the actual fat on the beef, those are ideal as energy sources. So when you're following a ketogenic lifestyle, those are the kind of fats that you you actually want to consume. And they're not bad for you for all the reasons that we've just talked about.
1: So I hope you got a feel for just how amazing this diet can be. And some of the benefits are just (laughs) absolutely mind boggling. So I would now I would like to introduce my in studio guest. His name is Mark McCollum. He is a personal trainer at Notch 8 Athletics on the west side of Indianapolis in Avon, Indiana. Uh, Mark, welcome to the studio.
5: I appreciate you having me on, man. I've listened to every episode of Hackstack from the very first one. I think you were getting ready to put out episode three when I started listening to the show. Uh, so I've caught every episode. Uh, it's an honor to be your first on-air guest. I'm super pumped about it. I'm excited to be here talking to you about one of my favorite topics. Uh, so with that, man, uh, let's let's jump into it.
1: All right, man. I appreciate the plug on the uh, the episodes of Hackstack. Obviously, we have Known each other for a while, and uh, we talk about a whole bunch of things, but uh, I know this topic the uh, ketogenic diet is is near and dear to you, so it 's kind of my turn to, to tap into your knowledge and hopefully we can share some of that knowledge with the uh, listening audience so i 'm just going to freestyle right now just we 're going to have a conversation, and uh, the folks out there in the audience can listen in and hopefully they can pick up a, a few things and um, by the end of the show, hopefully, we'll convince them that this diet is not only effective, but relatively easy. So, with that being said, let me start with my first question. So, just so we can get to know you a little bit, tell me a little bit about your, your fitness background.
5: Oh, goodness. All right. Um, there wasn't much of a background prior to, to joining the Army. Uh, I grew up an overweight kid my entire life, uh, swimming in a t shirt walking around my shoulders hunched forward, just very, very overweight, always the biggest in my class. 2002, joined the military, and uh, they made me run until I got skinny. And then uh, (laughs) once I did, I I realized that I liked being a lot lighter. I lost 60 pounds through the course of it, and uh, birthed my extreme love for fitness. So that took me into uh, starting to train uh, hardcore for mini marathons, weightlifting, all kinds of stuff. I didn't find CrossFit, to be honest, until Uh, 2012. So it's been just over four years. Um, Actually, at the end of this month, it'll be four years that I've been been doing CrossFit. So I got a degree in uh, health and fitness. Once I started a a degree in criminal justice, I realized that's not what I had a true passion for. Jumped over to the health fitness, uh, got my bachelor degree, and I kept rolling from there. So and it's just been one Great train after another that's led me into uh, where I've gotten to this uh, at this point. So
1: I know a lot of people listening are self conscious and they may have self image issues and and it's it's still hard for me to to look at you and realize that may have been you at one point. But tell expand a, a little bit about on that. You know maybe some of the painful memories or you know just some of the things that maybe you used I don't know like a chip on your shoulder to to motivate you to never go back to there again. But just uh, talk about that a little bit.
5: Swimming in a t shirt big white t-shirt doesn't uh, keep people from making fun of you. In fact, it outlines your fat even more. So getting teased uh, quite a bit in school, regardless of being the class clown, uh, still got teased quite a bit, called every name there was. uh, And you would think that that's what motivated me to get to the point where I am now. Uh, It didn't. Uh, I had a chip on my shoulder towards kids, but at the same time, I think I used that to build up people around me. And so while fitness didn't necessarily birth from my background of being a fat kid, my love for people and taking care of people, which has led me into the career that I'm in now, uh, being around people, surrounding myself with like-minded people, that's what, what kind of came from me being a fat kid. It wasn't uh, it wasn't that I hated everybody around me or wanted to beat up the bullies. I thought I'll just do my best to lift up those around me regardless.
1: So I, I bet you that makes you have a, a little bit of bigger heart when you're working with clients, and you know a lot of people maybe come to you with, with self-image issues or insecurities, and you you've actually been there, so I, I assume that that helps you uh, kind of understand where they've been. Sure.
5: Yeah, I can tell when uh, people tend to be insecure, especially in the line of work I'm in now, uh, as a trainer and as a coach. You can see it in people's movements, the way they carry themselves, the way they talk. And it's the same way that I carried myself and the same way that I used to talk. So I'm able to approach that with the mindset of who I used to be, and I can relate to who they are now and show them where I've come, where I came from, and where they can go to uh, based on the insecurities that they have, which are the same ones I did.
1: So that's pretty cool. You, you not only can help people physically, but you can help, I guess what I'm hearing you say is you can help with their, their confidence
5: too. Emotional is a big part of what we do. So being able to help the emotional side and the physical side, the confidence side, the mental side uh, is a big, big win for me. I, I, I'm i excited about that.
1: All right. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. That's totally interesting to me to, to see how you can relate to to so many different types of people, different personalities and different fitness levels. So Let's let's shift gears toward uh, more the nutrition side of things, and before we get strictly into the ketogenic diet specifically, I, I know you're kind of like a, a walking guinea pig when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, just just tell me, you know, as you've gone through your fitness journey, what are some of the the diets that you have have tried through the years?
5: Cause to be honest, I've tried every diet that has had a book written on it. I've gone through everything from Atkins, juicing, low carb, high protein, which essentially was Atkins, paleo, zone, fasting, low calorie, you name it, I've tried it. I've manipulated my body in every type of way with every type of diet and have had great results and great success with some of them, not all of them, but some of them, but nothing like where I'm at now.
1: All right, so you mentioned juicing, which I think is probably in the family of you know, vegan, and I want to kind of go back to the question I asked earlier in the podcast—the uh, the hypo- hypothetical question. You know, if you had perfect discipline, what diet would you choose? Now, I, I think if, if we're being honest, the the vegan diet may be in the conversation. Would Would you agree with that? And if so, is like from a practical standpoint, do you do you see a downside to that particular diet?
5: I would definitely say it's in the conversation. I don't think that you can go wrong with eating large amounts of vegetables. Micronutrition is very important to your body's makeup anyway. Sustainability is the name of the game here when you're talking diets and lifestyles. I think that the overall sustainability of the vegan diet becomes very difficult when you have to constantly eat to remain satisfied. So have you, have you personally,
1: I know you mentioned it, but let's just uh, expand upon that a little bit. Have you, have you actually done a juice cleanse or done juicing for any sustained amount of time? And how did that
5: work out for you? Because I made it just over 72 hours with a juice cleanse before I started dreaming of cheeseburgers and realized I needed more in my life than just juice which come to find out you're stripping all the nutrients away from it anyway and just more or less drinking all the sugar that's uh, found in juices in fruits and vegetables. Okay, and I think you you bring up a, a good point. One of the common
1: culprits in no matter what nutrition regimen someone chooses is sugar. I mean, sugar is the absolute evil player in all of this stuff. Causes inflammation and and just a whole bunch of horrible Uh, side effects that we long term, you know, side effects that we can get into a little bit later on. So I I would probably agree with you on the sustainability. Uh, I've, I've talked to a few vegans who, well, some people do it for moral reasons. That's a whole different conversation. But the people that are doing it for health reasons definitely eat a lot. I mean, you're talking five, six, seven meals per day, just to stay satisfied. And that's, (laughs) it <laughs> just does, does not fit my lifestyle. So that's sort of when I when I first heard you actually I overheard you in a conversation. I had heard the term ketosis and ketogenic's um the ketogenic diet, the ketogenic lifestyle. I had heard that term on the Ben Greenfield podcast. And I never really researched it I as I knew it was kind of low carb. So I started to eat lower carb, but I had no idea if I was in ketosis or anything like that. And then one day I overheard you talking to someone and it wasn't like you were bragging, but it definitely caught my attention. You're, you said something along the lines of, I eat 3,500 calories a day and I maintain single digit body fat percentage. Now, that was kind of mind-blowing to me, and that's kind of when I, I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure I interrupted that conversation, and we've been, t- <laughs> we've been talking about it ever since, but most people think counting calories is pretty much the formula for losing weight. You know, You simply take in less than you are burning. Is that accurate or no?
5: I can appreciate the simplicity of calories in versus calories out. However, I'd like to be clear, some days... I'll take in 3,500 to 4,000 calories. Some days I take in 2,000 calories. That's one of the many benefits of this lifestyle is not having to worry about eating around the clock and taking in a certain amount. I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. So talk a
1: little bit more about when you say you don't eat around the clock, um, What do you mean when you say that, or how does that contrast to, you know,
5: most people that aren't on the ketogenic diet? So when I was a sugar burner, so to speak, back in my carb days, I was always watching the clock. I had to eat every two to three hours. One, because I thought that was how I maintained my metabolism, and two, because I was always hungry. So 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I was always watching the clock to see when my next mealtime was going to be. Now I don't have to do that.
1: So from a scientific point of view, is, is the main reason because of that is simply because your, your body can only store so many carbohydrates, right, that turns into glucose for energy, whereas the fat stores are a lot more. Am I, am I understanding that correctly?
5: That's correct, Kaz. You're understanding that correctly. Uh, your fat stores will give you more or less an unlimited amount of energy, whereas you only cap out with a certain amount of glycogen, and once that's depleted, you're tired again.
1: So, you you basically, instead of becoming, you know, most people are what you would call a sugar burner, right? And uh, once you're in a state of ketosis, you become a fat burner, and there's a lot more, the body has a lot more access to fat stores, and you can do... Um, what a lot of people call as fasted workouts, right? Because you're, you're fat adapted. So do, you, so do you find that that now that you're fat adapted, like you can perform better in some of your workouts?
5: Yes, absolutely. My energy is off the charts and I can go, it seems like a lot longer than I used to be able to.
1: All right, so the ketogenic diet is not as mainstream as as some other diets, and uh, not a lot of people ha- have heard of it. Even people in in the medical field. So, what piece of advice would you give to someone who who went to their doctor and you know the doctor s- tries to recommend a diet plan, and the the plan they recommend is a low fat diet? What would you have
5: that person do? Well, cause look at his belly. Uh, <laughs> if he's fat. Don't listen to them. There are good doctors and there are bad doctors. Most doctors nowadays came up in the world of the standard American diet, food guide pyramid. They're not nutritionists. They're very reactive, whereas the nutrition field is very proactive. So how did you first
1: get into the ketogenic lifestyle?
5: I actually came across it similarly to the way you did by overhearing a conversation. That I heard two ladies talking about this ketogenic diet. And eating a whole bunch of bacon, basically. And uh, I thought, well, I like bacon, and I can lose weight by eating bacon. Let's talk about this.
1: Yeah, especially as a guy hearing uh, eating bacon and being healthy, that that's uh, definitely perks the ears <laughs> the ears up a little bit. So, so when you first started to
5: to get into this, what what were some of the the roadblocks that you you faced? Being that I was a carbaholic, coming into a diet that was very low in carbs one of my biggest roadblocks was getting my carb level down low enough i couldn't get quite there into ketosis because my carb level was too high i wasn't able to balance my protein threshold properly so i had too much protein still going into my body my fat wasn't high enough i guess that would be attributed to the fear of fat again being raised by that standard american diet so you mentioned like carbon take and, and protein threshold, I
1: believe it was, things like that. Um, you're basically talking macronutrients. And I just wanted to, to talk to people and I don't want to assume that they, they know necessarily some of those things. But can you, you just describe a little bit the difference between macro and, and micronutrients and how many macronutrients
5: there actually are? Sure. Your macronutrients break down into three areas. Carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Your micronutrients are your multivitamins, uh, your sodiums, your electrolytes, things like that. Vitamin Cs, vitamin Ds, your sunshine vitamin, vitamin K, all those.
1: So now I know everyone's different, but for you, what is the proper uh, macronutrient balance for you to
5: maintain a state of ketosis? To maintain a good level of ketosis the percentages you want to look at are 70% or higher fat intake, 20% is your protein makeup, and then 5% is carbs. So if you want to look at percentages in amount of grams, you're looking 5% of your daily caloric intake of carbs is 30 grams or below to maintain a state of ketosis. So you, you mentioned ketosis, which I think the audience is starting to get the
1: picture at, that, at this point, but basically that means you're, you're burning fat. For energy so how how do you personally measure uh, whether you're in ketosis or not like I mean how does how does someone know that
5: so to get fully keto adapted it takes approximately four to six even upwards of eight weeks to get into ketosis to see the first signs of entering into ketosis it can take as little as two to three days so there's three ways really to measure the state of ketosis there's acetoacetate, which is ketones in your urine. There's beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the presence of ketones in your blood. And there is acetone, which is the presence of ketones on your breath. And there's different ways to measure those. The urine comes in the form of urine strips. You're essentially peeing on this little strip and looking for the color purple. The darker color purple, the more in the state of ketosis you're getting into. The blood is kind of a check like you would be as a diabetic with the prick in the finger um, checking your blood sugar levels if you were a diabetic however the ketone meter that you would use actually measures the presence of ketones in your blood and then acetone being the breath the breath meters are similar to what you would blow into for an alcohol test it's a tube you blow into and it measures the amount of ketones on your breath which is very similar to the measurement in blood so is is one method more considered more accurate than the other the blood, the beta-hydroxybutyrate, or the presence of ketones in your blood, is the most accurate way to check.
1: So what exactly do you use to, to measure your
5: blood? I personally use the AccuCheck FastClick. I like it because it's the push of a button, and your finger is lanced in a split second. You can put the blood on the strip, and the NovaMax Plus will give you a reading within a few seconds of what your blood ketone levels are yeah I can personally
1: attest for for some of the cheaper lances um, <laughs> if you can you definitely want to spend a little more money to avoid that uh that little bit of pain that you get with some of those cheap lances and and for all you guys out in the listening audience i'm going to take detailed show notes on this so i'll I'll have links to all these products but mark, when you talk about it measuring your ketones what what type of measurement i mean is this is this a number what sort of marker are you looking for?
5: The actual term for the ketones in your blood is a millimolar. So you're looking for 0.5 or above to show up on your Nova Max showing you the level of ketosis you're in. Anything above 0.5 and you're in ketosis.
1: Now, now how often do you think someone should measure their ketones? And, and actually, do they even need to measure their ketones?
5: Great question. Yes, all the time you need to test your ketones as often as possible. You won't know how often you're in a state of ketosis if you're not testing.
1: Now, the, these test strips are, are kind of expensive. Uh, are the urine strips a little bit more affordable, and is there a downside to using
5: those like, like long-term? The urine strips are absolutely cheaper. You get a whole box of them, I think 100 strips for maybe 14 bucks. Yeah, so the urine strips are good for a, about The first three or four weeks as you're entering into ketosis, your body's spilling out those excess ketones, and they're going to show you positively that you are producing ketones. However, like I said, once you get into a state of ketosis and you get beyond that three and four weeks, and your body stops expelling them, and they're now recycling ketones in your blood, you're not going to show those signs anymore via the urine strips. That's when you'll move into strictly blood testing using the NovaMax Plus. All right, so we're using the
1: Novamax uh, after someone has been on the keto diet for, you know, three or four weeks. Um, is, is there a certain time of day that's better to measure? I mean, does that matter, like, when you eat or when you measure your blood?
5: Without a doubt. When you test, absolutely matters. The morning will show you almost no levels of ketones when you first wake up. When your body wakes up, it produces something called cortisol. Cortisol is produced because your body is stressed, because you're waking it up. The presence of cortisol in your body blunts the production of ketones. So that would factor into your ketone levels. Now, if you take it too soon after a meal and your blood sugar is slightly elevated, you're going to blunt ketones. If you take it immediately after a workout, you're going to have blunted levels of ketones. So there's definitely good and bad times during the day to test your ketones, but you won't know what those times are unless you're testing often. But to keep it simple for most people that want to make sure that they're headed in the right direction into the state of ketosis, I would test once a day in the evening after you've been filling your body with fat, ketone levels are ramped up, and you're going to get the best results.
1: Now I know it's not optimal, and some of those test strips are like really expensive. Do you, do you think someone could actually pull this off by not measuring at all ever?
5: Yeah, it's possible but unlikely. If you're not testing, you can't track your data. You won't know if you're actually in ketosis. However, after two years of being in ketosis myself, I don't check my blood levels. I go based on my percentages of food, and I've eaten the same things for so long that I know what keeps me in a state of ketosis. And I know when I've put myself out of it.
1: So basically, as you get more in tune with your body, and you understand this diet, you can just test less frequently.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And that is a little bit easier on the wallet as well. So if, if a person
1: chooses not to test, um, you know, they, they probably would reap some benefits of just a general low carb diet, but to get the cream of the crop, literally turning themselves into a fat burning machine, they need to test until they're aware of,
5: you know, how their body works. Absolutely. Until you've measured levels at all different times of the day and all different types of foods that are in that realm of ketogenic diet, you need to test. Once you get beyond that, keep on going, keep on living.
1: All right, sounds good. So now that we've got the gist of ketosis and ketogenic diet, I I really want to get into the practicality of of this diet. And I first want to talk about real world concerns that people would have. So, what what do you think are some of the reasons that people might
5: fail if they attempt this diet? Fear of fat is the biggest one. People are scared to eat a whole bunch of bacon. People have been so programmed by the standard American diet and getting a certain amount of grains and a certain amount of fruits and vegetables and meats that switching completely to a different mindset and getting rid of all that stuff you've been taught your entire life and taking in mass amounts of saturated monounsaturated fats and dropping all these carbs down that everybody thinks that they need to live. Uh, is a, is a is a scary thing initially. It it even was for me. And obviously, part of this diet is is low carb, which means
1: low sugar, right? Because sugar is a carbohydrate, right? So, people with sweet tooth are are going to have some apprehension on this. So, so carb cravings is kind of a big thing. Is did you find that to be a big deal when you first started?
5: I think the term you're looking for is hangry. <laughs> yes, uh, usually for the first. Forty-eight to seventy-two hours, you experience some pretty intense uh, carb cravings. So, one of the downsides that you hear about when people
1: do the uh, keto diet is is the keto flu. Uh, tell me exactly, you know, what is that? How can that be avoided? Is it inevitable? Like, like what exactly is going on with this this keto flu thing?
5: Yeah, sure. So, the reason they call it the keto flu is because it it feels exactly like that. It feels like you've come down with the flu, and it's very unpleasant from what I'm told. I uh, personally have not gotten to experience that, but I've been told that it's it feels exactly like the flu. Uh, cold chills, it feels like you've got a fever, you feel nauseous. Um, obviously things that would deter you from wanting to do this. You hear that and you're like, there's no way, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, but there are ways to push through this faster because it can last anywhere from a day uh, to a week uh, uh, in some severe cases. But usually it's a day to maybe two days.
1: So is this brought on, is this just carb withdrawal? Is that what's bringing on these symptoms similar to, I don't know, if a smoker quit smoking, they would have nicotine withdrawal. Is a, a similar thing going on here? Essentially, yes.
5: Your body's making a switch from however many years of bringing in carbohydrates and sugar and relying on that for an energy source to making a complete switch to now relying on fat. So, yes, it's a it's a withdrawal process, essentially, and your body kind of freaks out your, your, your body doesn't know what to do. And and it freaks out and goes, Hey, what's going on here? And we're going to throw some flu-like symptoms at you. So to battle those flu-like symptoms,
1: um, well, well, two things, is there anything that someone can do like proactively to maybe avoid that? Uh, and then if you're in the thick of things, what would you recommend? So two things, how would you avoid it? And then if you're already experiencing them, what can you do about it?
5: All right, so to be proactive with it, you can go through the weaning process. So like you, your analogy with the smoker, you're not going to go from a pack a day, pack and a half a day of unfiltered Marlboros to zero. Your, your body will freak out. Same thing with here. You're not going to go from 200 grams of carbs a day all the way down to zero. So uh, an essential weaning process is a good way to be proactive and start tapering back day by day. Now, if you're in the, the thick of it and you're experiencing the, the keto flu and you're just feeling awful, some ways to kind of help push you through that a little bit faster. It won't be a cure-all right there that moment, but it's going to definitely get you through the symptoms a lot quicker than if you're just laying on the couch and trying to bear it. Um, upping your water intake. All right? You're probably not taking in enough water. So uh, you got to have a lot of water uh, intake, and you got to make sure that you keep that up. So up your water because you may not be getting enough. Up in your sodium intake, all right? Some some pink Himalayan sea salt, or even just some standard table salt. Um, adding that to your water, or adding that to something that you're going to eat, up in that sodium and your electrolytes, your your magnesium, your your uh, potassium, your calcium, things like that. You need to take that in as well, and that's going to help push you through those flu symptoms.
1: Okay, that that's great information. Um, and I guess if if I understand things correctly, worst case is you're just pushing through this with time. Like eventually this goes away just like any other withdrawal symptom. I mean, is that, is that how I'm hearing you?
5: Yeah, it won't last. Uh, like I said, extreme cases a week, but it's it, when it does happen, it's typically two to three days.
1: Okay. S- folks. So just, just be aware of that. Like that could be the one thing that makes people fail. Like they experience these bad symptoms and they quit and, and they don't realize that, they're a day or two away from just having this amazing lifestyle. If they can just get through that one small barrier, I mean, you've got, you may be nauseous, you may have headaches. Um, and again, this is not everyone, but if that were to happen, uh, just kind of think of the, the, the golden ring that you're, you're, you're shooting for here. Um, you break through that barrier and you're well on your way to just having an amazing, uh, energy level and fitness level, and it's it's a price worth paying. All right, so we'll talk a little bit later on on how to minimize some of those cravings and how to negate some of the, the downside of first starting to try uh, the ketogenic diet. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, just to get your mind uh, in the right reference as to some of the, the foods that you will, will probably be consuming a lot if you attempt this lifestyle. So, Mark, in in your perspective, what are some of the the staples of uh,
5: the ketogenic diet? Eggs, whole eggs. Don't throw those yolks out. Whole eggs, bacon, uh, fatty cuts of meat. Uh, the the fattier the better. Your eighty percent, even down to your seventy three percent. Avocados, cheeses. Uh, unsalted and salted grass-fed butters, Kerrygold's the, the best, that's the, the bee's knees, so to speak, of butters, sausage, heavy whipping cream, cream cheese, and the list goes on and on of things that are absolutely delicious that people looking in from the outside would consider unhealthy all right, so let's let's talk about an egg,
1: for example, just to get people thinking about things correctly. When you when you look at an egg and you're you're trying to figure out, you're trying to hit this seventy five percent fat level, but an egg, what an egg actually has probably, you know, five grams of fat and five grams of protein. I mean, isn't that fifty fifty, as far as your macronutrients?
5: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh... If you were to just take one egg, and that's what you ate, and you looked at the nutritional value of an egg versus ketosis, five grams of fat approximately, six grams of protein, and one gram of carb. Now, you would think, being that it's higher in protein than it is in fat by a gram, hey, this doesn't sound like it's very keto-friendly. But due to the fact that there are nine calories for one gram of fat versus four calories for a gram of protein or carbohydrates. The nutritional makeup in the world of percentages is actually sitting at 60% fat in one egg. So you just ate one egg for that day and and thought of it in terms of ketosis, you've eaten 60% fat for the day versus about 35% protein, and then you're at at 6% for your your carbs for the day.
1: So it seems like some of these foods are almost perfectly designed for a ketogenic diet.
5: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you were to take an avocado, just half of an avocado, and looked at it the same way, it's over 80% fat for your daily makeup, if that was the one thing you ate. So there are absolutely foods that are perfectly designed for this type of lifestyle. Plus, the avocado is filled with micronutrients, being that it's green, so you're getting your greens in for the day. It's a great all-around food. It's why they call it a superfood. Oh man, and I've been talking about it all night, bacon. That one's in the same camp, even more so. You eat one slice of bacon, you're looking 74% of your daily value of fat. The rest is protein, 26%, and there are absolutely no carbs.
1: Yeah, so with just bacon, you're pretty much dead on hitting your macronutrient goals. So so there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of upside to this this lifestyle. You, you can kind of hit some of these targets probably easier than you may suspect. Uh, the downside is you've got to give up carbs and sugar, which is where I want to spend a lot of this show because to me, I, I consider that, I don't know about you, Mark, but that's like cracking the code. If you can get over that and get some really good substitutes for some of those things, I think you're, you're well on your way to being successful at this diet. Absolutely. I, I agree fully. And sometimes you don't even need a full substitute. You just need to tweak a little bit what you already are doing. For example, a lot of people drink coffee in the morning. But if you just change a few things about how you drink coffee, you can take an easy step toward getting yourself into ketosis. So Mark,
5: what'd you have for breakfast this morning? I had my usual bulletproof coffee, which is what sustains me until I have that, that big meal later on in the day.
1: All right, so let's park there for a second. When you say bulletproof coffee, uh, I know a lot of people have no idea what you're talking about. Is that something you can get at the store, or is that something
5: you have to make on your own? Bulletproof coffee is simply three ingredients. You can pick up just about any local grocery store. It's coffee uh, mixed with two tablespoons of unsalted grass-fed butter, a tablespoon of MCT oil, which is a derivative of coconut oil, And occasionally I'll throw in maybe a teaspoon of cinnamon or some peppermint extract just to add a little something extra.
1: So what's your your nutrient breakout or your calorie count in in something like that?
5: Just in my coffee alone is a little over 400 calories, and it's 50 grams of fat. So on a percentage base, right off the bat in the morning, I've had 100% fat, 0% carbs, 0% protein. So that's a great way to start
1: off your day, right? 100% fat. 0% protein, 0% carbs. Now, I make my bulletproof coffee a little bit different. I take my coffee and I add that same uh, tablespoon of MCT oil. uh, Medium chain triglyceride oil is the official term for that. Uh, Teaspoon of the MCT, I put in my Kerrygold butter. I will put in three tablespoons of heavy whipping cream. Occasionally, I'll, I'll switch back between heavy whipping cream and half and half. And for a little added sweetness, I'll put in two or three squirts of liquid stevia. And this is great stuff. They they make a couple different versions. Uh, The one I happen to use is called Skinny Girl. And you can get that at uh, some grocery stores for sure off of Amazon. But that's a really good uh, liquid uh, all-natural sweetener. And if you really, really want to hack your coffee, you can put in something called Keto Cream. You can get it off a website called It, P-R-U-V-I-T. I I think you may be able to get it from Amazon. I know of an affiliate that sells it, but basically it's called Keto Cream and they spell cream, K-R-E-M-E. It's pretty expensive, but it is actually an external source of ketones. So just by adding this to your coffee, you get this crazy, amazing, creamy taste, but it also boosts your ketone levels. So that's probably like a (laughs) five, six... Hundred calorie cup of coffee. And it's a really good keto way to start off your morning. But no matter what variation of bulletproof coffee uh, you start to use, if you are a coffee drinker, I highly recommend uh, toying around with your own bulletproof coffee concoction. And especially if you want to lose weight, you, you drink that in the morning and you probably won't need to eat until lunchtime. It's such a filling... Drink because a uh, coffee will sup- suppress your appetite a little bit, but it's also got those those fats that will keep you satisfied for a long time. And you do it enough, you start to realize how people uh, that are doing the keto nutrition plan can literally eat two sometimes just one time a day. So that's a that's a good way to start your morning. And now we're going to transition over into to real world because I know there's a lot of people out there that like to eat meals on the go and. By the sounds of it, you, you would think you would always have to be home cooking every meal because of the specificity of everything that's required for this uh, lifestyle. But the truth of the matter is, is you could probably maintain this relatively easy on the go at any time. So I'm going to kind of pop quiz you. We'll kind of bounce back and forth here, Mark. But it is either lunch or dinner time, and you are going to Hardee's. What are you going to order from Hardee's?
5: I would order the Bacon Monster Burger, no bun. It's two-thirds pound of meat, about a 1,000 calories, close to 90 to 100 grams of fat, cheese, mayonnaise, and it is delicious.
1: Now, I assume you're eating this with a a fork and knife. Do you ever get like freaked out that people are looking at you strange or funny when you do stuff like that?
5: I I don't know if they're more freaked out about the knife and fork or when I just pick up the massive amount of meat with my bare hands and eat it that way with no bun. Which,
1: which leads me to another interesting question. I mean, do you think, I mean, it's, you kind of have to be an oddball or you have to be comfortable with yourself. Does it take a certain amount of confidence
5: to do a, a diet like this? I suppose it does. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> because of my background and who I was, uh I guess things like that don't really bother me, but sure, absolutely uh, you need a certain level of confidence to go in and order something with no bun just to to say i don 't want the bun or i don't want fries, people look at you like you 're crazy because when you 're in McDonald's, you get fries that 's what you do so to say i don 't want the fries and you can keep the bun um, that could be difficult for some people to talk to to say.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a really weird feeling. I remember when I first started this. Um, you know, I'll answer the the next restaurant here is is McDonald's. Uh, what what I get from McDonald's is, is two things. If it, if it's lunchtime, I'll get cheeseburgers without the bun. I'll get two, maybe three, and that's exactly how I order it. You go through the drive-through or, or step up to the counter. I'll take two cheeseburgers with no bun. Now I've done it so much at this point, it doesn't matter. But it's bizarre. Like the first <laughs> first time I did it, I felt really weird. Like, are people gonna look at me funny? Are they gonna understand what I'm, what I want? Are they gonna screw up the order? It was like really, I don't know. It almost felt like a high schoolish type of situation.
5: Yeah, I I actually remember my first time doing that as well, and, and I I instantly reverted to the episode of Seinfeld where they were cutting the Snickers with a knife and fork. And everybody was going crazy over this new crave of eating your Snickers bar with a knife and fork.
3: You want to hear something weird? Mr. Pitt
5: eats his Snickers bars <laughs> with a knife and fork.
1: Really? Yes. Why does you do that?
5: And that's how I felt ordering with no bun. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good stuff right there.
1: Yeah, so it's just another thing that that you, you kind of need to get used to when you're ordering out. But uh, the thing that might you know squash that feeling altogether is if you realize that you're doing this uh, for your long-term health.
5: Well, and you also look around now and you see a lot more restaurants that offer that option. You can go to Five Guys and get a huge burger with bacon and they offer it either A, in a bowl, or B, in a lettuce wrap with no bun. Yeah, and I, th- I think some of these places, it's even on the menu. Like, sometimes you have to
1: just ask for it and know it's there. Um, but some places, it's on the menu. And I know even, like, Panera, which is a bread and pasta in carb heaven, at one point, I don't know if they still have it, but I think they had, like, a secret menu where you could actually order low carb stuff or really like healthy stuff that that wasn't even on the menu. But the point being is this is a lot more mainstream than than you may realize.
5: Yeah, and I think the the reason we're seeing that more is is that it goes back to the Atkins days and a lot of people confuse the ketogenic diet with the Atkins diet because they they hear low carb and think, "Oh, that's that's Atkins." Where Dr. Atkins started it was the low carb craze. But he wasn't measuring the levels of protein being taken in or how that accounts into it. He was just cutting the carbs out. Whereas with ketosis, now you're monitoring your level of carbs, your level of fat, and your levels of protein because they all play into your ketone levels.
1: And obviously, if you maintain low carb, that's good. But you're really trying to find that balance that gets you into ketosis, right? Because if you eat too much protein, so what does your body do if you eat too much protein? protein?
5: Uh, Simply put, your body treats it like a carbohydrate. It's a process called gluconeogenesis. Once you have filled your protein stores beyond that threshold, your body spills it over and, and recycles it, so to speak, and uses it like it would a carbohydrate. So you elicit a blood sugar response and an insulin response in your body.
1: And once that starts, you're burning carbs and not fat, which is which is which is the main goal here. Right. To become a fat burning machine. So actually, some of these fatty meals that we're talking about right now from fast food restaurants like big picture, uh, they're actually really advantageous to to kind of the goals that you want to accomplish. So, all right, I'm going to throw out another
5: one to you. Uh, it's lunchtime and you go into Jimmy John's. What are you going to order? Oh, man, the Italian nightclub unwich. That would be the best option for fatty meal and looking to stay in ketosis. It's got bacon, it's got avocado, and it's got mayo. Enough said. All right, my turn. I got one for you. So it's lunchtime, and you stumble your way into a Fazoli's. What are you going to eat in Fazoli's?
1: All right, so so you would think that this is this is hard given Fazoli's is Italian food, and Italian food is all spaghetti and pasta up to the ceiling. But there was actually a Fazoli's right by your gym, and I was starving one day, and I went in there, and I, I stumbled across this and discovered it, and it is amazing. It's called the Da Vinci Meatball Sandwich. It's got four or five meatballs in this hoagie bun. That's drizzled in marinara sauce. There's probably some sugar in the marinara sauce, but, you know, we're just trying to to maintain as close as we can. But meatball, marinara, cheese drizzled everywhere. And then there is pepperoni embedded in the cheese, right? So you can get this thing, and it's... It's a big sandwich. I haven't done the MyFitnessPal calories, but it is amazing. And you can use the hoagie bun. It's so thick, you can use it like a bowl, and you can still eat it with a fork and knife. So, you, again, you kind of look like a goofball, but this thing tastes absolutely amazing. And you can basically stay in ketosis while going to an Italian fast food restaurant.
5: So, uh, let's go get one.
1: I hear you, man. This is good. I kind of like talking about food. All right. How about
5: it's lunchtime and you're going to Arby's? Uh, You've got a, quite a few options there. Your, your beef and cheddars can't go wrong with cheese. Uh, your beef may not as be a fatty cut of meat as you would like, but still, it's gonna, you take the bun off, you're still, still heading in the right direction. Uh, the Reuben, you just take off that Thousand Island dressing that's in there that's a little bit sugar-loaded. The cheese, the sauerkraut, and the uh, other meats that are on it, good to go. All right, here we go. Subway. Eat fresh. <laughs> All right, man.
1: That's another good one. Um, you got a couple options there. You could do a similar thing like Frizzoli's. They have a meatball sandwich and then you can use the the hoagie as a, as a bowl instead of actually consuming it. But my new go-to thing there is if I go there, you can make any one of their sandwiches into a salad, right? So you can take like their, I think there's a spicy Italian or an Italian hero and there's so basically that starts off and you've got Italian sauce, all this really good tasting fatty meats. So that starts off the salad. And then you could, you know, you pick your leaf, right? So I always go spinach and I, I have them throw in, say, the spicy Italian. And then I add bacon and cucumbers for crunches. Uh, olives are really fatty and tasty. Uh, shredded cheese uh, sometimes I'll splurge and get some chipotle sauce or whatever. Um, if not, I'll throw in ranch, ranch is fatty and good for you. And then they chop it all up and it's, it's amazing. It it really is. It's, it's amazingly filling for a salad and it is still very keto friendly. So, all right. So you're, you're trying to stump me here. So let me ask you this. It's breakfast time and you need to get a bite to eat at a fast food restaurant. Where do you go?
5: Well, we're going to go back to Hardee's. Uh, Hardee's offers a low-carb bowl that's not actually on their menu. Uh, eggs, sausage, bacon, cheese. It's unbelievable. Uh, then McDonald's, uh, I would grab a sausage egg McMuffin minus the muffin. All right, I'm going to hit you with an easy one. Let's go Burger King.
1: All right, yeah, that—that that is pretty easy. Pretty much all these burger joints, you know, I'm thinking Burger King and Wendy's, they're, they're very similar. But a Burger King, they've got this thing called the Bacon King. It's two patties, and in between there's bacon, and on top there's bacon, and in between there's cheese, and on top there's cheese. It's it's amazing. And then you can go old school, Whopper, Whopper no bun. So Whopper no bun, Bacon King no bun. Uh, Wendy's has a similar, it's like Baconator or Son of Baconator. Again, no bun. I, I hope you guys in the listening audience are all all hearing a theme now. Pretty easy to stay keto-friendly on the go. All right, Mark, so let me throw out another scenario for you. Uh you are invited to a fancy steakhouse at a work function, so someone else is flipping your bill on a nice dinner. What are you going to look for on the menu or what are you going to try and eat uh to stay keto friendly?
5: Well, it's always more fun when somebody else is paying the bill, which tends to make you want to branch out beyond where you should. However, um I always look for the fattier cuts of steak. Starting off, ribeye is kind of my go-to. I will look for maybe some fatty fish if I'm in the mood for fish, like a good salmon. Um, broccoli. I always ask if they have real butter. Uh, a lot of restaurants will just have that big tub of butter in the back. That's not real butter. When you go to a nice restaurant that offers real butter. I'll have them slab uh, my my broccoli with butter. Um, hold the potatoes, unfortunately. Uh, so I just try and stick with a lot of good vegetables. Uh, maybe a Caesar or house salad that's got blue cheese or ranch on it with a fattier dressing on it. Pull the croutons out, pull the tomatoes out, and then uh, along those lines. No, that that's good stuff right there. Let let me ask you this: Have you ever
1: eaten your steak with butter like you put butter on every bite? Have you ever done that
5: goofball thing? I mean, I I've I've been doing that a lot lately. Have you Have you tried that? Oh, absolutely! Two nights ago, my wife made steak for dinner with mashed cauliflower and she made this garlic herb butter that completely covered the entire steak and the cauliflower it was amazing
1: yeah and that mashed cauliflower stuff is amazing i know sometimes you, bacon is put in it as well and it has the consistency and texture of mashed potatoes with a fraction of the carbs i mean it's it's unbelievable you get to avoid that that starchy vegetable that's super dense in carbs and Get almost an identical eating experience with just a fraction of the carbs. It's it's really really good stuff. All right, last pop quiz here. You are going to a family reunion or some sort of work function where there's a buffet. Uh, what are some of the things that you're you're looking for
5: to uh, maintain ketosis? Well, if I'm going to a family function, I'll probably just. Kill my uncle and eat him since he's large. <laughs> uh, very high fat. Um, no, um, that's great. Uh, family functions, um, that's that's just a matter of picking and choosing your your meats, your cheeses, anything that you can find that's fatty. Your plate's going to look different than everybody else's because they're going to have your basics of, you know, the potatoes and maybe some veggies and some meats. Um, and yours is going to look a lot different because you've probably just picked over the cheese tray completely with a, a stack of cubes right there on your paper plate. Um and then buffets, they those are those are easy. It's it's almost as easy as going to a fast food joint and grabbing a burger that's got bacon on it and no bun. You just go down that buffet and you're looking for cheeses, uh, creams, fatty cuts of meat, anything that's gonna. Um, fill that, that fat void and uh, stay away from your, your starchy carbs and your potatoes.
0: All
1: right, so there you go. Hopefully you got some good ideas on how to maintain a, a keto lifestyle while also realizing you have a busy busy life. You've got obligations. You've got work, family, career. Time is always a, of a premium, but yet you can still do some of the same things you were doing before, going to drive throughs going through fast food, and still – Maintain ketosis. All right, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into more specifics on some substitutes uh, because when you go into to keto, you're you're gonna have cravings, you're gonna miss certain things. I mean, I don't I don't care what it is. Uh, there's what three, you know. Mark told us there's three macro categories. You've got fat, you've got protein, you got carbs. If I told you we were gonna take out any one of those things, you're you're a human being, right? So you're gonna end up missing it. If I say you can't have protein. You're going to want protein. You're going to want steaks. You're going to want bacon. You know, if I say you can't have carbs, guess what? You're going to want bread. You're going to want sugar. You're going to want noodles. You're going to want all that stuff. So it's just kind of human nature. And since that's what we're talking about, this keto lifestyle, which the category eliminated is carb, we're going to talk about some substitutes for some common things that you're going to crave or want while pursuing the keto lifestyle so mark you ready for this yeah hit me all right so the first thing i'm going to talk about is pasta and bread because i really think once you start keto you're really going to crave those things so mark i'm going to tell you what i had for dinner the other day and i want you to try and guess how i pulled it off while maintaining a keto friendly diet so the other day i had chicken alfredo with fettuccine noodles and I also had
5: a piece of bread and butter. How do you think I pulled that one off? Well, a couple of years ago, I thought you were crazy and said that there's absolutely no way that you had a, a pasta dinner and bread and, and we're still low carb. There's there's no way. However, I happen to know your trick of the trade and what you what you probably did. I'm guessing the fettuccine Alfredo was miracle noodles. Miracle noodles are low carb and and absolutely fantastic. All right, you got me on the Miracle Noodles. All right, so your Miracle Noodles uh, come in a funky little package. You can get them on Amazon. Uh, It's made from a shiitake root. They are an absolutely low-carb food. I'm talking less than one gram of carb per serving, which is three ounces of pasta. So that's not too bad. Um, And your bread, I'm guessing that you probably went with a a very low-carb style of, of paleo bread or some type of bread there. I'm all right, With some Kerrygold butter on top?
1: Yeah, yeah, dude, you are absolutely right. Um, I think I sent you a picture a while ago. I'm like, hey, man, look what I'm eating, Miracle Noodles. And you're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, I'm like, man, why are you holding out? I <laughs> just discovered this and was like shocked and amazed. But it, yeah, it comes in this like little pouch, almost of, of like a pouch of water. Uh, It's kind of funky, but you, you basically boil it for a little bit, drain it, and then dry it out in a frying pan and it has the same texture of like a fettuccine noodle or an angel hair noodle i mean it's it's mind-boggling right so and i just used some store-bought alfredo sauce which is if you pick the right one super fatty super awesome and then i put some chicken bits in there and i, I didn't use chicken breasts right because they're higher in protein so i made sure to use like got a rotisserie chicken and cut the, like the chicken drumsticks up, and then the chicken thighs, because those are a little fattier than the breasts, and I put that all in, mix it up, unbelievable, and yeah, I used a low-carb bread that I ordered off of Amazon, and then just put some Kerrygold butter on that, totally stuffed, Scratch the carb itch totally and completely, and I was probably rocking out at like seven carbs, that whole meal. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's that's really what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. You just put in that one extra hour of work, right? People, people don't want to do that. They don't realize how little effort it takes to kind of scratch that itch. All right, so that covers your pasta fix and your bread fix. And just to get into a little bit more detail on the uh, scratching the desire to have bread, There is also a thing called Paleo Bread that you can get at some stores. I know you can order it on Amazon. Again, I'll put all these things on the show notes. There is a low-carb bread from a company called, oddly enough, Low-Carb Foods. So they have a whole line of foods that you can get. I found most of it on Amazon. Again, I'll put some show notes out there. And my new thing, and I wish I would have had one for you, Mark. I actually ate them all. There's a thing called Carbolicious Muffins that you can get from again Amazon and I think it's the one we had is like cinnamon carbolicious muffin and it is amazing so they make cinnamon strawberry chocolate and when I look at these like low carb substitutes I'm also sort of looking for bang for your carb buck if that makes sense so you can order low carb brownies but you got to be careful cuz everyone define low carb different right so a low carb brownie maybe has 26 grams of carbs for I think it's a two ounce brownie well guess what a full normal legit like decadent chocolate filled brownie normal has like 31 grams so you're only saving like five grams. at that point I'm like well you just you should just cheat but some of these other things like if you get like a, a big Otis Spunkmeyer muffin you're probably looking at what 40, 50 grams? Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. These low-carb muffins have like 14 grams. So you could actually start your day off with a 14-gram muffin, uh, butter, maybe some bulletproof coffee, and you're still well under your threshold, and you can still maintain ketosis. So there's a couple ideas to substitute on the pasta and bread side of things now occasionally you'll you'll want to have a fix for a crunch right you can't eat potato chips you can 't eat cheetos you can't eat all those things um, so Mark, what do you think some of the the substitutes that one could do for kind of scratching that itch
5: all right, you want to satisfy that crunch itch let's let's talk crunchy stuff. You mentioned one earlier when you go to subway uh, and you like to throw in your salad for some crunch with some cucumbers all right so healthy option still tastes good, still crunchy but my go-to now for the crunch would have to be this new thing that you actually told me about called Parm Chips. It's it's a disc, a round disc of cheese, and it's just been baked into this crispy chip. And you go over to the cold section and grab yourself a tub of French onion dip, and now you've got chips and dip to sit at home and veg out with all while staying in ketosis, all while eating fat, and all while scratching that crunchy itch yeah
1: i'm telling you what those those parm chips again i'll I'll put a link on the show notes those are those are off the charts right if you look at any ketogenic cookbook they talk about making your own parmesan chips right you've tried that before right
5: yeah absolutely myself and uh, another friend of mine actually tried making them and they they came out pretty good we made uh we took parmesan cheese and made the discs in the oven and, and cooked them but uh but these these are done right. Yeah, I mean,
1: anytime there's a profit motive involved, and there's a company that can, you know, perfect how these things are made. I mean, they're perfectly round. They're perfectly crunchy. It's it's just amazing. I mean, you give me even keto aside. If I'm looking at a, a bowl of lays or a bowl of parm chips, I I could very well pick the parm chips anyway. So that that, I this was discovered probably within the last two months. Um, they they sell them at Kroger uh, here in Indiana. And I know you can get them online, but that that alone <laughs> may make you willing to uh, give keto a try. It's just it's just awesome. Oh, one more thing I almost forgot is pork rinds. They are low carb. You can get uh, barbecue flavor pork rinds. They are super flavorful, super crunchy, super yummy. You can even get Plain pork rinds and dip them in that same French onion dip for for a nice combination. Uh, You can also do get a little creative. You can melt some Kerrygold butter, dip the pork rinds in the butter, and you make a concoction of powdered stevia mixed with cinnamon, and you dip the butter drenched pork rind into that concoction, and it kind of has the taste and the texture of a mini churro, and it's it's really really good. So. Uh, that knocks out two things. You get the crunch crave and you also get a little bit of the sweetness crave satisfied, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. All right. So, so right now, um, and I know you, you and your wife are, are pretty, pretty handy at some of this stuff, but go over some of the, the snacks that you, you know, keto is not a big snacking type of lifestyle because you can eat so much at one time and and stay uh, satisfied for such a long time. But occasionally, late at night, middle of the day, you want to you wanna have some snacks. What are some keto-friendly snacks that you like to eat?
5: All right, I'm going to start going through my fridge in my mind because I do have a, a good chunk of uh, snacks in there in terms of keto-friendly. And the one that, that is my first go-to and one that seems to throw a lot of people off when they hear about this if they never tried it is cheese and butter together. <laughs> together. All right, so you take a tablespoon of Kerrygold salted butter. Make sure it's salted. It adds that little bit of sweetness. And you wrap it up in a good piece of full-fat cheese, you know, Colby Jack, and wrap it up and eat it just like that, butter and cheese. And it is incredible. It might not sound good, but I'm telling you, it'll, it'll, it'll change the way you, you look at butter and cheese. Um, cheese sticks, uh, pepperoni. Pepperoni is a great uh, fatty little piece of meat and a great go-to snack. Guacamole. My newest one now I've been eating a whole lot of is I've been dipping uh, salami in this full-fat avocado mayonnaise that I have. It's a chipotle lime-flavored mayonnaise, and I'll just take a, a big wad of salami, four or five slices, roll them up, stick them down there in the mayonnaise jar, and, and that's my uh, that's one of my go-to snacks.
1: Yeah, no, that that is all good stuff. One of my uh, favorite snacks, and see, <laughs> I'm not a big cook, so I'm looking for things that are either already out there at the store kind of prepared or very easily prepared by just adding a a few things together kind of like the the chicken alfredo you know the noodles are made i buy the chicken and i buy the sauce and i mean i guess i cook the meal but i'm pretty much just throwing it together so same kind of thing with snacks right they've got usually in the deli section i think it's boar's head it's it's almost it's almost like an adult lunchable i mean it's got like a thing you know a a strip of sliced salami, some sliced pepperoni, and some sliced, I think, Swiss cheese. And that whole thing probably has maybe two to 300 calories, and you're probably pinging out the radar at 80%, 90% fat. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. They now, actually, I mentioned Lunchables. Back in the section in the grocery store where they sell Lunchables, they have cheese on the inside, and prosciutto wrapped around it, and it comes in like two sticks. So I get like four or five of those, and I just keep them always on stock in the refrigerator.
5: Have you had those yet? Actually, I have. If you go to Walmart or GFS, you can get a much bigger variety pack, and it'll be either the prosciutto or they've actually got uh, different types of pepperoni and salami wrapped around the cheese as well. So you can get a multi-pack, $14, $15, and get about 30 of them. And they're fantastic, and they're that's a great on-the-go snack. Oh man, that that sounds awesome. I'll have to go. GF is that Gordon Food Services? All right, yeah, I'll
1: have to check that out. And then I think there's even okay, who makes who makes Lunchables? Is that Oscar Mayer or something like that? Anyway, right by the Lunchables, it, it's it sounds cheesy because I'm talking about you know food for like a, a fourth grader. But right by the Lunchables, there's this thing called I think it's called P3. As in protein three, uh, it's about half the size of, of a lunchable, but it's got like these three pouches. They've got ham in one compartment, they've got almonds in another compartment, and then they've got cheese. And then they got different varieties. You know, some have turkey, uh, some have. Uh, you got to watch out. I think they've got like raisins or craisins instead of instead of like the almonds. So, even if those are a little higher in protein and not perfectly. You know, keto ratio, they're going to be a lot closer than eating a bag of potato
5: chips. And, and while we're back in the section of Lunchables, so the P3 is typically to the right, we'll say. If you look to the left, uh, Kroger makes a fantastic carnitas. So pork carnitas, and it comes in a, a big package, and, and it comes in nine ounces. And three ounces of it is somewhere around 20 grams of fat. It's fantastic. So there, there's another go-to for you uh, if you look left of the Lunchables. All right,
1: so, so with that, you just kind of triggered my memory, you know, talking like uh, Mexican food and all that. I'm going to rewind back to the fast food on the go. I forgot to talk about one of my all-time go-to favorite places to eat. Fast, amazing, and super-duper keto fat intensive. Okay, it's Qdoba. All right, so I'll go there, and I will get the three cheese nachos. And they always ask you, do you want nachos on the side? And the answer is always yes. So they start out the this like bowl of delicious goodness by putting queso sauce, lining the bottom of the bowl with queso sauce. And then they'll ask you if you want rice or beans, and you will say no. And then they'll look at you funny, and then you just roll with it, right? So you've got this bowl with a layer of queso sauce on the bottom. And then they go, what meat do you want? And you go, well, I want the uh, chicken, and I want a full scoop of ground beef. And, again, they may look at you funny. And you have to, like, clarify, full scoop of ground beef. I think they even have a little, uh, like, you can get a scoop of bacon, like, chopped up bacon bits in there. And then they move you over to the next section, and you get, uh, throw a little, little pico in there. And then you get, check it out, shredded cheese, sour cream, and a big scoop of guacamole. And then you go check out, and they start to put the the chips on the side. They start to put those in the bag, and you go, I don't need the chips. And again, they look at you kind of funny. But then they ring you up, and then you just go, and you mix all this together and sort of eat it almost like a soup, but it's a really thick consistency, and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's probably <laughs> 1,200 calories of amazing flavor amazing taste and uh, the ratio I, I've, I've I've pinged it out on my fitness pal. you're, you're probably looking at about 80 percent fat
5: so tomorrow for lunch we're gonna go to Qdoba and then dinner Fazoli's. done and done so yeah there there's probably
1: a uh, hundred other snacks that we're not mentioning that's just a kind of a starter sample of, of some of the things that are out there in in Uh, gosh to me it's just painfully easy to maintain this so we're we're gonna we're gonna now move on to probably the biggest itch that people want to scratch and mark what do you think that uh itch is on a on a carb a low carb diet
5: gotta be sweets.
1: absolutely bingo man you are right all right so we could spend a lot of time here. This is personally the one I've liked to spend a lot of time just tinkering around with and ordering different things and seeing seeing what's good and what's what's not good because this is where the rubber meets the road. If you can kind of solve that sweet tooth you're you're well on your way to making this like a long term forever type of of lifestyle. So let's just start at the top of the list. I know there's a lot of people that um like to to drink sodas full of sugar. Uh, I get it. They're carbonated. They taste good on your mouth texture, all that good stuff. Is, is there a better alternative out there? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm not a diet soda every once in a while is, is probably okay. Not optimal, but if if you need it, that's probably okay. But, but Mark, what do you recommend for someone that's kind of looking to have something sweet to drink without all the sugar?
5: So a good alternative to a, a sugary, fizzy, carbonated, wonderful fountain drink uh, would be <laughs> water, which sounds crazy. Uh, but with a, an additive, uh, I recently came across something called stir. Uh, so if you've ever seen those little like Kool-Aid additives or things like that, the, the juices you can squeeze in, um, they have a lot of sugars or additives or, or aspartame, what have you, things that, things that aren't good for your health, period. Um, but stir, S-T-U-R, is this new additive that I, I came across recently um, that is virtually absolutely zero carb. And the biggest factor about it is where the aspartame comes into play with the other ones. This one is made with stevia. And stevia is a natural sweetener, uh, the one and only probably approved natural sweetener for the ketogenic diet and you squirt something like that in your water. I mean, they've got blueberry fruit punch, uh cherry limeade, wh- whatever you can think of more or less with flavor-wise that you want to add to your water. You can add this. It's going to it's going to make your water taste great and it's going to take away that that need for that sugary carbonated drink.
1: Yeah, no, that's that stir stuff is is pretty amazing. I mean, I I know I know you're a big water guy. You try and drink what how much water per day?
5: Uh, you can always find me carrying around a gallon of water. And uh, by the end of the day, that gallon and then some is gone. Yeah, so like, like we mentioned before, he's, he's kind
1: of a goofball
5: and doesn't care what people think or <laughs>
1: make fun of him. Because I make fun of him, too, for carrying around a, a full gallon all, all, all the time. Most people carry, like, their cell phone. Uh, Mark carries a gallon of water. Anyway, my, my point is, is that drinking water uh, used to be kind of tricky for me, kind of a, a burden or a task. And then I started uh, using the stir, and now it's enjoyable. It's good. I've got no problem uh, hitting, you know, some of the uh, drinking a little bit more water. So it's it's really, really good stuff. So, uh, again, a lot of these things are kind of like a, a hierarchy and, a, and a, a best case to worst case. I mean, best case is you're probably just drinking water. Water with stevia, stir stir is, is right up there, virtually the same. So you get all the benefit of the water with a, additional flavor then you could just go down the chain i'd probably rather see you drink um like a sugar-free lemonade or or diet coke i mean even though there's artificial sweeteners and and all that stuff uh it's probably going to be better than a full-on you know sugar coca-cola or whatever um so again a lot of these things are just like from best case to worst case and if you can stay on the upper end of that scale, uh, uh you're going to be better off. Obviously, you know, we're human beings and we'll slip from here to there, but the, the goal here is just to give you so many options just so you, you realize that you can stay on, uh, the, the higher part of that uh, ketogenic scale. All right. So, so there's a little breakdown of, you know, how to, how to change plain water into a, a sweet tasting drink. Uh, Mark, what else you
5: got for us with the sweets? All right, let's talk about a milkshake. Oh, goodness. I kind of want one right now. I can't decide if I want Chipotle or Fazoli's or a milkshake right now. Um, but if you want a good go-to, something that tastes like a vanilla milkshake and will really scratch that that itch, if you take coconut milk, 100% coconut milk, and they've got a brand that I favor, uh, Roy D. I think I'm pronouncing that right, you can get it on Amazon, big old package of, uh, they look like little juice boxes, like, like you would give your kids, a little square juice box. Uh, you cut the end off and pour it out. So it's 100% coconut milk. And then you take this uh, J-Rob uh, is the name of the guy that created this uh, whey protein. It's a vanilla flavor. It's made with stevia. It's lactose-free, non-GMO. It's 100% whey isolate and all natural. You take a scoop of that and you mix it with some of this coconut milk, not only does it taste amazing and you feel like you're drinking an actual vanilla milkshake, but you are 100% within the realm of the keto lifestyle and not breaking any kind of carb barrier or protein barrier.
1: All right, that's a, that's a good start in the topic of uh, sweet tooth and how to tackle that issue. So let, let's get into some, some really real-world like major league cravings that people have. Let, let's, talk about, let's talk about ice cream what what are what are some some things that you can you can advise the listening audience about ice cream
5: oh man now you're talking my language so without going into any kind of pinterest recipe or telling you you need to start crushing up ice cubes and and mixing some fancy coconut milk and make your own at home and and now you're going crazy cuz ah i've got to make my own ice cream uh no you can actually go right into your local grocery store you do have a couple of options arctic zone is the first one and their end-all, be-all flavor has got to be the cookie dough. That one's the best. That one's my go-to. Your other option would be Halo Top. Now, Halo Top has a plethora of flavors, and you can't really go wrong with any of them, Um, and some of your basics and then some of your not-so-basics. you got cookies and cream. you got oatmeal cookie, peanut butter cup, s'mores, mint chip, personally one of my favorites, sea salt caramel, chocolate almond crunch, and the Always good choice, birthday cake. Uh, and aside from those, they have 17 flavors total. So if you think of your normal serving of ice cream is about a half a cup. Half a cup of ice cream is anywhere from 35 to 40 grams of carbs. So so what's so great about Halo Top and, and Arctic Zone? Well, these brands here have less than half of that. So a, a serving size, still half a cup, has 12 to 14 grams of carbs in it. So more than, So less than half of what you would find in a regular serving of ice cream. And it's got more protein and almost double the protein of what's in a regular uh, serving of ice cream.
1: I hope you guys are starting to realize that this is not all that bad. Like, I've had uh, Briar's vanilla bean, and I've had Halo Top vanilla bean. And I don't know, man. It's like the, the Coke-Pepsi challenge. Like, you, you have to be an absolute connoisseur to tell the difference. I mean, this Halo Top stuff is just amazing. So, and just just to give you guys a frame of reference i literally had ice cream every night for 7 days and i still measured my blood ketones and i was still in ketosis now now just think about some of the things you're you're hearing mark and i talk about right you're going to fast food restaurants you're going you're eating ice cream i mean it almost sounds too good to be true and it is in such a way because most people don't know these food hacks. I mean, they're they're ju- they're out there and just people don't know about them.
5: Oh, and one more thing while we're talking about too good to be true, let's talk about one more snack called a fat bomb. Sounds crazy. Uh, there's as many recipes as you can think to find on Pinterest under the term fat bomb. You're you're gonna find it. Um, my go-to that I like to make is cashew butter, which I make myself in a food processor with uh, a pound of cashews that are covered in sea salt. That way I don't have to worry about the cashew butter at the grocery store that's got any kind of additives or sugar. So I make my own in a food processor, grind it up till it makes its own butter, pound of that, and then uh, 16 ounces of coconut oil, a tablespoon of cinnamon, and a teaspoon of pink Himalayan sea salt. Mix all that together and put them in one-ounce plastic containers, Stick them in the fridge until they get cold and hard, and they're great on the goes. 18 grams of fat, 3 grams of protein, and 1 gram of carb per serving. It's actually less than a gram. It's about 0.8 grams of carbs per serving, and that'll keep you feeling good for uh, several hours. Yeah, those those things are amazing.
1: I mean, you can actually go out to Google and just Google Fat Bomb recipes, and they'll, there's – I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of recipes. I think the one I've, I've, I stick to one. It's like strawberry cheesecake fat bombs. Oh man. That's, it's like cream cheese, butter, uh, vanilla extract, some stevia, some chopped up strawberries. Cause I think strawberries are a little lower on the, the carb level and, and still good enough and give a lot of flavor. So anyway, just Google fat bombs, great, great stuff. And, uh, now, I've had this of yours. Uh, I don't know if you make it
5: or your wife makes it, but, but tell me a little bit about this keto chocolate mousse. Uh, keto mousse. It started out my wife making it, and, and now I, I make it. Keto mousse is exactly what you would think when you see chocolate mousse. It's thick, it's fluffy, it's whipped, and it's chocolate. How do we make this keto? All right, so your basic ingredients, there's five of them. You've got butter. You've got cream cheese. You've got heavy whipping cream, you've got a little bit of stevia, and you've got unsweetened cocoa powder. Mix all those together, and there's a method to the madness. You come up with this thick, whipped, creamy chocolate mousse. Yeah, it's it's creamy and smooth, and any of
1: you chocoholics out there, definitely this is one you want to put on your radar. It's It's so good. It's so good. All right, so I think we've covered a lot of the, probably the apprehensions people would have of starting keto. I mean, we, we've addressed uh, and given a lot of good substitutes for some of these things, pastas, bread, snacks, uh, and definitely sweets. Uh, I think that's, that's one topic we could probably spend a whole episode on alone. But the main goal is just to give you enough to get started and kind of build your confidence in this, this lifestyle and realize that, it's it's sustainable it's doable uh you're not going to feel you're definitely not gonna feel hungry and you're you're not gonna feel deprived uh and Any anytime you need to you know have some of these cravings for sweet or whatever, there is definitely answers out there to to address those cravings while still maintaining ketosis so at at this point, I wanna maybe close up the episode with Mark's take on what he thinks. If someone wants to do this, and you know tomorrow was day one, wh- what are they actually? You know, what do you recommend they do? Do they transition into this? I know we we there's the keto flu we haven't talked about. Are they reading books? Like, what do you think are some practical steps that that they can take? Because this is a this is a long term thing,
5: in your opinion, right? So one might think initially I would tell somebody that they need to change what they're eating, when they're eating, and how they're eating it. Uh, When, in fact, the first week, even two weeks, I really just want you to gain knowledge. You need to change your frame of mind because you're getting ready to change your entire body and the way it works. I wouldn't go into my garage and just start taking apart my car engine without first knowing what I'm going to do once I take it apart or how to take it apart for that matter. So I really want you to build a good knowledge base and change your frame of mind. So if you want long-term success, you need to change more than just what you eat. You need to change your mindset. You need to change your habits, your attitude, how you talk to yourself, how you look at yourself. In fact, another shameless plug for you here, Kaz, is I I would actually recommend going back and listening to episodes one through six of Hackstack if you haven't already. Uh, If this is your first episode listening, uh, that's awesome. Rewind, go back, and hit episodes one through six because they're all about habit forming, attitudes, self talk, the why, the purpose in life, and these are the things that you need in order to be successful with a long term game. That keto is because it's not a diet; it's actually a lifestyle. And if you want to sustain this lifestyle, you've got to have the right mindset to do so.
1: Yeah, no, the, thanks for the plug. That that's awesome. But I, I would totally agree. Right, um, people are more than just what they what they put into their their mouth. I mean usually attitude plays so much into this. I mean, even as people are listening to this podcast, they're probably thinking, uh, I can't do this. I wouldn't do this. Oh, it's not for me. But then they hear some of these things like, oh, man, I could eat some of this ice cream. I could go to Fazoli's. Man, this is actually doable. And see, nothing has changed between the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode other than you think you have the ability to do that. And it's such a a key part of all of this. So I, I would agree with what Mark's saying. That that first week, it's all about kind of changing your mindset, changing even the first couple of weeks, right? Changing your mindset. So to do that, we want to change the mindset, which is a hack stack one through six is really good for that. But as far as like specific for keto and gaining knowledge on the ketogenic lifestyle are there, you know, what do you recommend sort of gain knowledge and to start to take apart that car, you know, as you described in your analogy, what, what are some of the things and resources that someone could, could use to, to start to build that, that really good knowledge
5: base? Sure. The first book I recommend, cause I like to read is a book called Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore. It is the step-by-step way to go through keto. It'll take you through day one through 10 years down the road what to eat, how to eat, and a lot of good recipes in there, and how actually to live in this mindset of not being afraid of fat. Uh, I also like podcasts. I'm a big podcaster. So uh, Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore in the Doc is a great one to listen to. It's, again, Jimmy Moore, the guy that wrote Keto Clarity, and his friend, Dr. Adam Nally. Uh, he's a family physician out in Arizona, and he treats many of his patients' illnesses with the ketogenic diet and has been doing so for well over a decade and and one other concern that I do get and a question that I get is uh, while this lifestyle seems great, can I do it and still perform as a cyclist, as a marathon runner, as a crossfit athlete, as a bodybuilder, as an MMA fighter? And the answer to that question is yes. There's a book by doctors Finney and Volick called "The Art and Science of Low Carb Performance." That book will take you through how to perform as an athlete, a competitive athlete at that, being in a ketogenic state. All right, so
1: that's a good a good start. Um, I mean, especially podcasts. Those are super easy to listen to. I think the, the Keto Talk and the Doc is probably, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes a pop for an episode. So you could probably uh, – I mean – if we're talking week one of trying this, you get through four or five of these episodes and your knowledge base is going to go through the roof. Um, and you'll really get a good understanding about what this is all about. So, so your first week or two, you're really not doing much different. Um, you're, you're listening to podcasts. You're uh, trying to change your mindset. Uh, I would even, even if you don't change what you eat at all, I mean, even if you're going to fast food and, and getting the French fries, um, even if you're doing all that stuff, I would probably recommend downloading my fitness pal and, and tracking what you eat just so you can become more aware of you know your macro nutrient breakout now I know I, I know at one point I had mentioned that this is a diet that you don't really have to track your calories and and that's true to to a certain extent but I, I want to clarify that a little bit. I, I feel like you kind of have to earn the right to not track. And once you understand like, okay, if I eat this thing, I know about how many calories it has or I know about how many, you know, fat grams or more importantly, I know the, the percentage ratios. And you can only get that knowledge by by tracking it with something like MyFitnessPal. I mean, would you agree with that
5: assessment and that kind of that right to To not track? Uh, Absolutely. One thing I always tell my athletes first off is if you don't track it, you can't change it. So if you don't know what those numbers and those percentages look like, you you can't change it or know where you're falling into. And and like you said, uh, I track things because I'm a glutton for data, and I love to look at my numbers. I've been eating more or less the same thing for two years now, and I know that I don't need to track what goes into my body because I already know what I'm putting in there. I just enjoy that fact. But I've earned that, that badge of honor, so to speak, as you said. And uh, uh, once you get to that point where you know the foods that you're putting in your body, you know the, the cuts of meat, you know the, the type of butter you're going to use and how much of it, you get to that point, you just know that your body is running efficiently on ketones and you don't need to sit there and track every little bite that goes into your body because you already know that you're making the right decision.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of like GPS, right? When you go to a new place, you you have to put it in your GPS and you're unfamiliar with the roads and is there back roads, you know, is there toll roads, all that good stuff. But if if you run the same route long enough, you no longer need your GPS, right? So, I think a, a similar thing's going on with with my fitness pal. And that's just one of the apps. It's I think it's kind of the common go-to app to track your stuff, but even if you don't change your, your eating habits at all the, the, that first week or two, as long as you're tracking it, you, you are making progress, right? And it's kind of a low-stress progress. It's, you're not, like, beating yourself up because you know this is part of a process. It's, it's no longer I'm trying to lose five pounds in a month. It's like you're trying to change your lifestyle. And, and I think that frame of mind makes a huge difference, right? All right, so the first week or two, the protocol – And again, these are just suggestions, but this is what has worked for people that we've recommended this for, right? So the protocol is first couple weeks, do not change what you eat. Just track what you eat on MyFitnessPal and also listen to podcasts to start to change your mindset and gain knowledge base. Now that could take two weeks. That could take a month. It doesn't matter. I mean, when we were talking, this is a lifestyle for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, Two weeks is nothing. Three weeks is nothing. A month is nothing. This is something that I would suggest maybe at around week three or four. You actually start to experiment with your diet in, in what you're eating. So, for example, maybe you eat breakfast the same way you always did, whether that's bagel and cream cheese. You, you do that, that's fine. Maybe you eat lunch the same way you always did, burger and fries. But dinner, you specifically target a low-carb meal just to try it on for size. So you're eating um, a fatty steak with blue cheese or, you know, some of those other meals.
5: Yeah, no, I like that. Absolutely. That's for anybody that's maybe fearful of the high fat content or the keto flu, because that's one thing that comes up a lot when you research the keto diet or the keto lifestyle, so to speak. Um, That's a great way to transition your body into getting ready for depleting these carbohydrate stores in your body and getting your body used to running on ketones. So while it's, it's not a dive head first in lifestyle, which can cause some of these issues depending person to person, it will get you through that weaning process so that you're still having some of the things that you're used to having while bringing this new lifestyle in and making that switch slowly but very methodically.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a good plan. So those first couple, two, three weeks, it's more information gathering and tracking what you're eating and then you start to transition. So as soon as you start to take real steps to transition into this type of lifestyle, I, I would, you know, one meal per day try and low-carb. And I'm telling you, if you go back to the section where we were talking about fast food, it's super easy. I mean, in the morning, you get a low-carb bowl from Hardee's. Boom. You've already got that off the checklist. And you'll start to realize how easy it is. You know, make yourself a bulletproof coffee, and, you, and you'll be set. Um, have a fatty steak and a blue cheese salad for dinner, and that's another example. So, so you do a week of basically one meal only per day of a keto meal And then the week after that, maybe you try two meals. And then at some point for one full day, you try all your meals, keto. And even if you the next day you go back to your normal diet, you're just basically at this point building your confidence.
5: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a great point because building confidence and knowing that you can continue to sustain this lifestyle is what this is all about. Where people tend to fall short is they either come into it too quickly, and then they'll experience something like the keto flu, which scares them off, or they get four or five weeks in and then bail, not ever really reaching that point of the metabolic switch into being a fat burner and really seeing the positive benefits of what the keto lifestyle can do to you. So they give up too quickly. So this transition period, while slow and steady, will help build that confidence and keep you in the game for the long term.
1: Yeah, that's it, man. That's a, that's a great phrase too. slow and steady, right? Slow and steady wins the race. So at at some point when you have the knowledge base and you slowly transition, and and then at some point you're going to go, you're going to go full on keto and, you know, you're going to kind of take the, uh, take the training wheels off. And and I think by that point, if you do it slowly, you will realize just how sustainable it is. And I want to, I want to throw in one thing that you can do concurrently. And I, I, highly recommend this cuz we we've talked about on on the show before is you know you're you're sort of the average of the five people that you hang around with and if you're doing this keto lifestyle you're probably going to be <laughs> the only one that you know that maybe does this and there's one sure way to do that and I'm I'm going to plug you Mark here uh, especially if you you live in Indiana uh west side of Indianapolis specifically in Avon Indiana Uh, Mark is a personal trainer at notch eight athletics. Um, first off the facility is amazing. I've, you know, I travel for work and I've been to gyms all across the country. Uh, and this is by far, um, not only the largest, but just the put together beyond belief. I mean, they've got CrossFit workouts, they've got yoga, they've got spin classes, they've got Zumba, they've got all of this stuff all under one roof, um, and I'm telling you, you could go to any any gym in the country and you would be lucky to find anyone that's actively doing keto, let alone, I would consider an expert. I know I know, Mark probably shies away from that terminology, but uh, he's been doing it for so long and, and read so many books. I would consider him an expert. So the fact that you could walk into that gym, hire him as your coach, and he can walk you through uh, this nutrition plan. And... And again, the same way that that I would recommend sort of transitioning into keto slowly, I would actually recommend transitioning into a workout program even from ground zero slowly I mean think about this how hard would it be to work out once per week you know most people think about well, I'm gonna start three or four days a week and that's gonna be really hard and it's gonna be sore and they you know, here here we are New Year's, you know, New Year's resolutions, people start out and then the gym is empty by like what, February, March. Uh, But what if your goal looked like this? The first month you worked out once per week. And then the second month, you worked out twice per week. And then the third month, you reevaluate and take it from there. So that in two months, that's 12 workouts. That's not all that difficult, and and especially if you go to Notch Ada Athletics, right? Mark, is the first session free?
5: Yes, your first intro session when you come in is an hour with one of our coaches, and it is free to you.
1: Yeah, but you don't want one of their coaches, right? You want Mark McCollum, right? (laughs) Because he is not only a top-notch coach, but he is well-versed in the ketogenic lifestyle. So if you combine his expertise in fitness with his expertise in keto, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, the the results that you will have will be unbelievable. It's, it's almost formulaic. It's not an if it's a then, right? Because if if you reduce your carbs, if you, if you've got these right macro nutrients, uh, pinged out at the right level, and if you have someone to talk to, I mean, you, you just listen to me and Mark talk for over an hour about, you know, what ice creams to eat and what breads to eat and what pastas and, and how to make a a drink sweet without carving it up I mean you can talk to him in real time so he can get you in shape physically get you in shape mentally and he can keep you on track on this lifestyle and it's just uh, I don't know it's like a triple threat health nutrition and accountability motivation and I, I just want to highly recommend uh, the facility is amazing and, and he's amazing as a coach so what are you waiting for I mean there's there's nothing else to do except do it man Start, start the protocol did I did I leave anything out from that protocol that was pretty thorough uh, I don't know <laughs> if you want to add anything to that no man that was awesome uh, <laughs> I appreciate that uh, the kind words so I, I think that's about it for this episode uh, we're gonna wrap things up I think I'm gonna have some extra credit I know if you're eating all that bacon and all that high fatty meat you may have some concerns about cholesterol. So after the outro music, there'll be more information about cholesterol during the extra credit segment. Things aren't always as they seem when it comes to cholesterol. And I just want to play a little clip if you have some concern, and that will kind of point you in the right direction on how to think about that issue. But other than that, Mark, man, I appreciate you coming out. Uh, Hopefully the, the audience got a lot out of this. I mean, I've had the pleasure of getting to bounce ideas off you for for the last year year and a half and uh it, it's been a great privilege so uh hopefully uh, the audience picked up a few things if nothing else they they know that halo top has a whole bunch of different flavors of ice cream so you have any parting words before we say sayonara hey thank you
5: cause for having me on and uh keep calm and keto on all right love it we'll see you guys later peace out
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success.
5: There is nothing wrong with your mobile device. You are venturing into deeper meaning and higher learning. It's time for Extra Credit.
1: Alright, welcome to Extra Credit. Uh, like I mentioned in the podcast, um, cholesterol is a topic that's near and dear to me, uh, mainly because I have relatively high cholesterol, but at the same time, I, I, I seem to think that I'm, I'm relatively healthy. But this one number uh, doesn't usually come up all that well to me, and I'm, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that cholesterol is the red sports car of health markers. Now, what do I mean when I say it's the red sports car? Well, let me ask you this question. If you saw someone driving down the road in a really fancy red sports car, would you conclude that they are rich or poor? Now, you may have some underlying biases that lead you to believe one way or the other. But if you think about it for just a little bit, you realize that you don't have enough information, right? Someone could be driving a fancy red sports car and own it free and clear, and they've got lots of disposable income, so therefore they may be rich. Or someone could be spending every last dime and dollar they have on a car that they can't afford, and they're in debt up to their eyeballs just because they want to impress someone else. You just don't have enough information to make these really broad conclusions on this one piece of information, a red sports car. And that's the way I feel about cholesterol. There's just way too much weight put on this one number, and sometimes it doesn't really give you a true, accurate picture of how healthy or unhealthy you are. And that's my analogy. And if that doesn't get you thinking, I'm going to put in the show notes a link to an article uh, that basically says... 75% 75% of patients hospitalized for a heart attack had cholesterol levels that would indicate they were not at a high risk for a cardiovascular event. Now, now think about that. That's basically saying people with quote-unquote normal cholesterol levels are still having heart attacks. So if that's the case, what's the point of this cholesterol number? So just another thing to get you thinking. So I'm only playing this extra credit so you can hear a clip, uh, um, several clips. I may bounce around a little bit, but I, I want you to get some exposure uh, to this book. And if your interests peak, then it's pretty much a requirement that you go out and read or listen to this book. Um, and if you're taking a statin drug, you yeah, you just need to go and listen to this book and come to your own conclusion. But uh, like I alluded to earlier, things aren't always as they seem. And I'll let this this book go ahead and make that case uh, for me. And then I'll have one little quick uh, comment afterwards before we um, close up shop here in the extra credit. But these are going to be clips from The Great Cholesterol Myth. And it's written by johnny bowden and Stephen sinatra and it's got some interesting things and we're going to bounce around like i said but we're going to start
0: with uh, a letter that was written by one of the doctors here you go dr sinatra most doctors today will recommend that you take a statin drug they might even nag you to do so if your cholesterol numbers are high they will do so whether or not you have evidence of arterial disease and are a man or a woman and despite your age in their minds You prevent heart disease by lowering cholesterol. Once upon a time I used to believe that too. It made sense based on the research and information that was promoted to doctors. I believed it to the extent that I even lectured on behalf of drug makers. I was a paid consultant to some of the biggest manufacturers of statin drugs, lecturing for hefty honorariums. I became a cholesterol choir boy, singing the refrain of high cholesterol as the big bad villain of heart disease beat it down with a drug and cut your risks my thinking changed years ago when i began seeing conflicting evidence among my own patients i saw for instance many patients with low cholesterol as low as 150 milligrams per deciliter develop heart disease in those days we pushed patients to undergo angiograms invasive arterial catheterization imaging if they had sufficient symptoms of chest pain borderline exercise tests and especially cholesterol readings of greater than 280 milligrams per deciliter. We did this because our profession believed that all people with high cholesterol were in danger of having a heart attack. We did the imaging to see how bad their arteries were, and indeed sometimes we found diseased arteries, but just as often we didn't. Many arteries were perfectly healthy. These results were telling me something different than the establishment message, that it wasn't just a simple cholesterol story. Faced with these discrepancies, I began questioning and investigating conventional thinking about cholesterol and looking at the cholesterol research more closely. I found other doctors who had made similar discoveries on their own and heard about how study findings were being manipulated. For example, biochemist George Mann, M.D., of Vanderbilt University, who participated in the development of the world-famous Framingham Heart Study, later described the cholesterol as an indicator of heart disease hypothesis as the greatest scam ever perpetrated on the American public. These and other dissenting voices were drowned out by the cholesterol chorus. To this day, practically all of what has been published and receives media attention supports the cholesterol paradigm and appears to have the backing of the pharmaceutical and low-fat industries, along with leading regulatory agencies and medical organizations. However, I stopped being a choir boy for cholesterol. I stopped believing. Here's why. I found that life can't go on without cholesterol, a basic raw material made by your liver, brain, and almost every cell in your body. Enzymes convert it to vitamin D, steroid hormones such as our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, and stress hormones, and bile salts for digesting and absorbing fats. It makes up a major part of the membrane surrounding cells and the structures within them. The brain is particularly rich in cholesterol and accounts for about a quarter of all the cholesterol we have in our bodies. The fatty myelin sheath that coats every nerve cell and fiber is about one-fifth cholesterol. Neuronal communication depends on cholesterol. It is not surprising that a connection has been found between naturally occurring cholesterol and mental function. Lower levels are linked to poor cognitive performance. I remember one patient, a federal judge, I'll call Silvio, who came to see me. He was taking a statin drug and complained that his memory had gone to pot, so much so that he voluntarily took himself off the bench. His LDL level was down to 65 milligrams per deciliter. I took him off the statin, told him to eat a lot of organic cholesterol-rich eggs, and within a month, got his LDL level up above 100 milligrams per deciliter. His memory came roaring back. Memory loss is one potential side effect of cholesterol-lowering drugs. Some researchers suggest that doctors should be extremely cautious about prescribing statin drugs to the elderly, particularly those who are frail. I totally agree. I have seen frail individuals become even frailer and much more prone to infections. Though that surprised me at the time, it no longer does. Cholesterol plays a big role in helping fight bacteria and infections. A study that included 100,000 healthy participants in San Francisco over a 15-year period, found that those with low cholesterol values were much more likely to be admitted to hospitals with infectious diseases. Many such patients told me afterward that their strength, energy, appetite, and vitality returned after going off statin drugs. They obviously needed their cholesterol. In addition to being a board-certified cardiologist, I've had a lifelong interest in nutrition. I've been using nutritional supplements in my practice since the early 1980s, particularly coenzyme Q10 an absolutely vital nutrient that is made in every cell in the body and is a major chemical participant in the production of cellular energy. Coenzyme Q10 is critically important for the strong pumping action of the heart which gobbles the stuff up. And in the early 90s I discovered something that shook my belief in statin drugs to the core. They depleted the body of coenzyme Q10. That fact is widely known now, but it wasn't then. And it certainly gave me pause. How could these miracle drugs that were believed to be the answer to heart disease, be good for you in the long run, if they depleted the very nutrient upon which the heart depends? Even today, many doctors aren't aware of the effect that statin drugs have on coenzyme Q10 levels. How ironic that the very drug they prescribe to reduce the likelihood of a heart attack, actually deprives the heart of the fuel it needs to perform properly. No wonder, fatigue, low energy, and muscle pain, are such frequent accompaniments to statin drug use. It wasn't until the mid-1990s that statin drugs really took off. But prior to then, physicians had other go-to drugs for lowering cholesterol. Many research studies were conducted using these drugs, and in 1996 the U.S. Government Accountability Office evaluated these trials in a publication titled, Cholesterol Treatment, a Review of the Clinical Trials Evidence. The report explained that though some trials showed a reduction in cardiovascular-related deaths, primarily among those who enter the studies with existing heart disease, there was a corresponding increase in non-cardiovascular-related deaths across the trials. This finding that cholesterol treatment has not lowered the number of deaths overall has been worrisome to many researchers and is at the core of much of the controversy on cholesterol policy, the authors wrote. It was also quite clear from the report that those who benefited the most from lowering their cholesterol levels were middle-aged men who already had heart disease. The trials focused predominantly on middle-aged white men considered to be at high risk of coronary heart disease, the report stated. They provide very little information on women, minority men and women, and elderly men and women. It's been more than a decade since that report was written, but it remains true that lowering cholesterol has a very limited benefit in populations other than middle-aged men with a history of heart disease. Yet doctors continue to prescribe statin drugs for women and the elderly, and, shockingly, many are arguing for treating children with statins as well the true cause of heart disease so if cholesterol isn't the cause of heart disease what is we know you don't want to wait any longer so here's the short answer the primary cause of heart disease is inflammation the subject of inflammation will be a running theme throughout this book for reasons that will soon be made clear but the first thing you need to know about inflammation is this it comes in two flavors you're probably already familiar with one of them but it's the one you're less familiar with that's at the core of heart disease let us explain almost all of us have experience with acute inflammation it happens every time you stub your toe bang your knee or get a splinter in your finger when you complain about your aching back an abscess in your mouth or a rash on your skin that's acute inflammation it's visible and uncomfortable if not downright painful the redness on your skin is a result of blood that's rushed to the affected area The swelling you experience is the result of an army of specialized cells, with names like phagocytes and lymphocytes, dispatched by the immune system to mend the injured area. The job of these immune system cells is to surround the site of the injury and neutralize nasty invaders, such as microbes, preventing the spread of potential infection. The swelling, redness and soreness you experience as a result of acute inflammation are all natural accompaniments to the healing process. So we all know about acute inflammation, most of us from personal experience. But the other flavor of inflammation, chronic inflammation, well, that's a whole different ball game. Acute inflammation hurts, but chronic inflammation kills. Dr. Johnny introduced the concept of the four horsemen of aging. These four horsemen all contribute mightily to heart disease, and we'll go over all of them in the sections that follow. For those of you who just have to know right now what they are, Here's the list. Oxidation, inflammation, sugar, and stress. Yudkin's much more comprehensive data showed that the single dietary factor that had the strongest association with coronary heart disease was, wait for it, sugar. The good citizen LDLs. Those big, fluffy LDL particles that, when they're predominant, make up a pattern A cholesterol profile. When the number of big, fluffy particles goes down, the proportion of your LDL population shifts in favor of the nasty, angry, atherogenic, BB gun pellet type particles, giving them a kind of majority rule. Sure your LDL number will go down and your doctor will be happy, but meanwhile, because of the shift in makeup of your LDL population, your risk for heart disease goes up. Conversely, when saturated fat intake goes up and carbohydrate intake goes down, The opposite happens. Now you'll see a significant shift to more of those big, fluffy, harmless LDL particles and less of those small, dense, angry LDL particles. Your LDL population has just shifted and the big, fluffy, harmless particles are now in the majority, leaving you in a significantly better place in terms of your heart disease risk. Sure, your overall LDL level may go up a bit. But what's actually happened is that there are now many more good citizens among your LDL population and far fewer bad ones. There are several blood tests your doctor can order that will tell you just how much of your LDL cholesterol is bad, bad cholesterol, the BB gun pellets, and how much of your LDL cholesterol is good, bad cholesterol, the cotton ball molecules. Tests for particle size include the widely used NMR test, the Lipoprotein Particle Profile Test, or LPP, the Berkeley Cholesterol Test from Berkeley Heart Lab, and the Vertical Auto Profile Test, or VAP. Okay, so that's about it. I know it was a little uh,
1: herky-jerky. I was I was jumping around. I was just trying to hit the highlights of that book to, to let you know what's out there. Uh, again, if, if this is an issue for you, you want to listen to this entire book full of information. But uh, the long and short of it is... Uh, Most people think cholesterol comes down to your HDL, which is your good, and your LDL, which is bad. Um, But what scientists have recently discovered is within the quote-unquote bad cholesterol of LDL, there is a further subset of these fluffy pattern A molecules and these dense BB uh, pattern B molecules, and it's those pattern B ones that are the killer, so you could have a high LDL number, but if you have uh, leaned toward a pattern A profile, you could be uh, all right. And your total cholesterol number, and in particular your LDL number, is probably not as good of an indication as some of these other lifestyle uh, indicators. You know, how much sugar you're eating, which is reflected in your triglyceride number, whether you smoke Uh, how much stress is in your life, how much you do or do not exercise, those are a lot bigger uh, indications of how big or how at risk you are when it comes to heart disease. So I have had the specific particle size tests that were mentioned in that audiobook. I had the VAP test. And I think you can get those done at LabCorp. And LabCorp has offices throughout the country, I believe. So you can just call them up and schedule an appointment to take the VAP, Vertical Auto Profile uh, Test. You know, you want to measure your LDL particle size. But anyway, just to let you know that my, my total cholesterol number was over 300 which freaks people out but the reason it was so high is because my triglyceride numbers were so low and my good cholesterol numbers were really really high so that pumped the total cholesterol number up and when they measured my pattern a versus pattern b i was well within the pattern a low risk for a cardiovascular event profile so that's what I'm talking about when you when you talk about red sports car. You can't just look at total cholesterol and figure out if you're healthy or unhealthy or at risk or not at risk. There's just so many other things that go into that. And it's very possible your total cholesterol number will rise if you try the ketogenic diet. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. And if you're freaked out about that, you should get that test done. So. Just wanted to close that up and and keep everyone as well informed of the big picture as possible. So hopefully you'll give that diet a try. Good luck. If you can get through some of the downsides, it's totally worth it. All right. Take care.